This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 128. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lum Ramiyasha, and today we are continuing our coverage of Kaito's incredible manga by talking about their most recent series, recently concluded on Manga Plus. We're talking about Blue Flag, also recently coming out in North America thanks to Viz and print and digital. Blue Flag is a really heartwarming and heart-wrenching story about about a love square and unrequited feelings and feelings of self-doubt and self-hatred. Characters trying to figure themselves out as teens in messy relationships with messy feelings. It is really, really impactful and emotional. And we had some incredible people on to talk about it. We had, of course, returning guest, our good friend Maxi Bernard for Fresh and Effort Victory. We had the letterer for Blue Flag for our Viz Media Ace Crispin on. And we had first time guest Simply G from the YouTube channel of the same name, also a huge Kaito and Blue Flag fan. We had a really incredible discussion, starting off with a half hour spoiler free discussion of the first volume before heading into a two and a half hour discussion of the entire series going over every aspect about it in terms of teens and characters, our feelings on the ending, and some of the controversial aspects of the manga. It was a really, really great discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I got the join for that first half hour because uh, I got to read the first volume of, Flu- of, uh, of Blue Flag. And then, uh, yeah, unfortunately, because I haven't read the whole thing just yet, I, don't worry, I plan to, uh, I, I had to leave uh, after we discussed Volume 1, but uh, I, I haven't listened to the episode yet, it probably won't for a little bit, because I don't want to be spoiled, but uh, I'm I'm sure Lum and everybody else had a good discussion, and uh, I hope everybody listens and enjoys it. Indeed, it's a really fantastic discussion, and if you're a fan of Blue Flag, or even just curious to learn more about Blue Flag... I think we did the series justice, and I'm really, really proud of our episodes on Kaito's manga. They've been a ton of fun, and I hope to continue to see more manga from Kaito so we can continue to talk about it and gush over them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think we have anything else to talk about at the top of the show, so I think we should just get right into our discussion of Blue Flag. Yeah, no need to feel blue any longer. We're raising our flag and headed into a discussion of blue flag. I can almost see it, that dream I'm dreaming, but there's a voice inside my head saying you'll never reach it. Every step I'm taking, every move I make feels lost with no direction. My faith is shaken, but I, I gotta keep trying, gotta keep my head held high. There's always gonna be another mountain, I'm always gonna wanna make it move, always gonna be an uphill battle, sometimes I'm gonna have to Oh, 
Figuring out your feelings can be hard, whether it's for a person or for a manga. So we're gonna use our best friend power to summon some friends from across the internet and spread some happiness to all in our discussion of Kaito's Blue Flag. And we've got some great guests on to talk about it. We've got our returning Shonen Jump expert, Maxi Bernard. Hello. We've got letterer for Blue Flag for Wiz Media, as well as a ton of other series, Ace. Hello. And we've got first time guests on the show, Simply G from her YouTube channel of the same name. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on to discuss this lovely, wonderful series with us. We talked about Cross Manish, Kaito's first manga recently, and with the recent release of the first volume into English, it was also a great time to talk about Blue Flag, not to mention that the series itself just ended as well last month on Manga Plus. And... So we're going to structure this podcast a little bit interestingly in that we're going to start off with kind of an initial overview on just the first volume and the strengths of the story on the first volume and how we would give an initial recommendation on the series. And then we're going to head into a broader full series discussion. Yeah, I, I, we figured it'd be best because, you know, the uh, the first volume just came out and... uh you know, unfortunately, not not all of us have been able to uh, to read the entirety of the series. Some of us missed out on when uh, when we were able to read it on Manga Plus. Totally not me. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. I, I've yeah. It is unfortunate that the entirety of the series is only available on Manga Plus in uh, the U.S. for a very limited time before it was picked up by Liz and most of the chapters were taken off and hopefully it isn't on there yet but I would like to see Blue Flag be added to the jump vault uh, at some point I know it's a signature title so it's not technically under the jump brand but they've added Golden Conway and other signature series to the jump vault so I'm hoping Blue Flag will also find its way there especially since Cross manages there I mean, technically, didn't it didn't it originally run in Jump Plus over in Japan? It did indeed. Yeah. It ran in Jump Plus from 2017 to uh, again April 2020. So, you know, it was definitely like a very popular title on there. And you know, I'm very glad that Manga Plus did pick it up and simul publish it for the last year of its run. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a great place to start in terms of. When did we start reading Blue Flag? And I guess I'll throw that question first to Maxi, because I was w wondering, did you start reading it before it got picked up on Manga Plus, or uh, did you discover it on Jump Plus itself? Uh, I discovered it a, a while before. I'm absolutely bugged if I can remember when when Manga Plus's service began to actually give us it in English, but... um. I picked up the first three volumes for it sort of late 2017, back when I was making my uh, like early stab at trying to learn Japanese. And boy, howdy, it was harder to read than I thought. I think it took about <laughs> like, a quarter of a year to get through them with like dictionary in hand and just making sort of really bad pidgin English out of everything. But uh, <laughs> I've been following it since then, and then thankfully at some point, I think about five volumes in, uh, the whole Manga Plus thing started happening. 
uh, which meant I could actually follow it without having to stress myself out massively. Uh, <laughs> and it lined up really well with the end of the latest volume. So I, I've been following it pretty religiously since then, uh, right until it ended just a short while ago. Awesome. And uh, how about yourself, G? Uh, so I had heard a lot of really positive buzz about the series prior to it being released on Manga Plus, mainly because of the Spanish version, I believe they have licensed. Mm. So I had heard that it was a really good manga. And then when it was part of the Manga Plus lineup, at that point, it had only had the first like eight or so chapters and then the gap until what was current, which was, I think, around 30 I read the mm-hmm. first eight, and then when they put up the rest of the chapters, I caught up from there, and I followed it until its conclusion last month. Nice. I think I had a similar story in terms of, you know, I'd heard rumblings for it for many years before it got added to Manga Plus. Mainly because Ray, the editor for the series for Viz, before Viz ever picked it up, like since uh, the beginning of like it being serialized, they were very much championing it. They were really big fans of it. So I was kind of hearing about it secondhand, like from their tweets. And that was making me excited for it because I was already, you know, a fan of Crossmatch at that point and really wanted to read Blue Flag, especially because, and I guess it's a bit of a spoiler, but... It uh, does touch upon, you know, some LGBTQ issues. I was very much wanting to read more series uh, exploring that, especially a jump series. And uh, yeah, so I was very excited when Manga Plus did pick it up and they were adding chapters. And I think what finally kind of got me to, okay, I have to read this now, was a lot of people were tweeting about it when it was finally put up on Manga Plus, like the entirety of it, and they were highlighting all the best moments. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to be spoiled on this anymore (laughs) because I'm just seeing all these tweets about this amazing series and so many like cool things about it from everyone. Lost Teeth, uh, one of the writers for ANN's This Week in Anime column in particular, did a lot of treads like phrasing the heck out of Blue Flag, including a particular tread about Mommy, uh, which was like, okay, yeah, I gotta read this now. And so, yeah, I did. I caught up to it, and then I followed the last year or so uh, as it came out. So, yeah, that was really, really cool. And, Ace, you said that you've been reading the series as you've been working on it. So, when did that start? And, uh, like, what were your initial impressions? So, I first heard of the series right as it started in Jump Plus, because Ray like read the first chapter and was like yes we need this at viz right now <laughs> and, uh, they've been fighting to get it licensed since practically the beginning and they told me about it and my japanese is terrible there are no translated chapters so i'm like trying to like make sense of you know my my preschool japanese like trying to go through the the first tonko when it came out and i was like <laughs> i don't know a lot what that's going on but it looks really good and they're like if we get it do you want to letter it i was like yes of course <laughs> kaito is amazing <laughs> and it took a little while to get licensed but yeah when it did you know i, I was eagerly reading every every chapter every volume when it came out i mean when, when i got the the scripts and stuff and let me tell you it, it's really really hard to try to just 
read the scripts because I wanted to catch up so badly, but it's <laughs> it's a really interesting experience kind of experiencing it as I work on it and I like that so I uh, kind of shot myself in the foot and yeah I'm only on <laughs> uh, I'm on volume five I'm actually gonna start putting the dialogue on volume five today so <laughs> nice wow nice yeah. and Exciting. that volume includes mommy's arc right yes yes it's oh mommy's yeah arc. oh wow that's so cool yeah that's that's pretty neat yeah I guess we could just kind of get into uh how i got into the blue flag because uh, my story my story is short because i i just read the first volume yesterday um but before then uh, obviously i had heard about it i i think as soon as it started up on jump plus I, I remember probably literally the second it was on jump plus i remember seeing ray tweet about it constantly <laughs> <laughs> and, and just how good it was and uh i mean obviously back then i i hadn't really read any of kaito's work uh, not at that point i don't think because the, the the first thing i really like read of theirs was was buddy strike when that ran as a jump start yeah buddy strike i mentioned it on the cross manage episode but boy i i'm really really sad that there's like there's not even an, an illegal scanlation way to read buddy strike <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of sad but you know, uh, like recently, I just read all the cross manage, and obviously, and for those of you who haven't listened to that episode, uh, uh, I loved it, and, and I thought it was great, and I'm still kind of kicking myself for taking eight to nine years to get to it. Has it been eight to nine years since it came out? Uh, oh, cross manage, yeah, yeah, yeah cross manage oh, came out in 2012. Oh. I feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I oh, almost withered in the dust too because I remembered it coming out in like 2014, 2015 at least, but I was I was very wrong. <laughs> that was before Jump Starts too. Mm -hmm. But no, yeah. So I <gasps> I knew very little about Blue Flag go going in, but like I knew enough. It's funny, I knew enough about it to be kind of surprised at, like, where Volume 1 kind of ends off. Because Volume 1 ends in a way where, like, it's trying to make you think it's going one way. But from what I know about the series and, like, what it tackles, I feel like it's going to go another way. Uh, if that makes any sense. Interesting. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, I could totally be wrong, I don't know. I'll have to wait till Volume 2 comes out, but... Um, I guess just in general, uh, from what I read, I mean, so, so far it's a really good slice of life, sort of romantic comedy kind of thing. And I'm you, usually I'm I'm not too into like love triangles; those usually just kind of annoy me. But like, uh, weirdly, I found this one really endearing, and I really want to see where it goes. Mm hmm. I guess that kind of brings us to. What were our feelings on those first five chapters that comprised the first volume as they developed? Like, what were our, our impressions at the time? Did any of us, like, kind of know stuff from later in the series that was kind of coloring our impression of, like, where it was going and, like, what certain reveals about certain characters were? I mean, for me, I definitely was spoiled uh, by people talking about it on Twitter. But was anyone, like, surprised by certain developments in the first couple of chapters? I was. I was happily surprised um, because <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I, although I had heard a lot of buzz about the series beforehand, I knew nothing about the plot aside from there was a love triangle kind of aspect to it, which 
Um, similarly, I don't really enjoy that much when reading, um, especially romance-focused stuff. So I wanted to see um, how that was handled, and I had previously read Kaito's other work, which was Cross Manage, um, <laughs> and loved that. So I was like, well, I know that I enjoy this mangaka's work, so I'm going to give this a try. And again, the positive buzz. And as the story opens on those first couple of chapters, um, I really, really liked the relationship, the friendship between all of the characters that was built up. I think that's something Kaito does incredibly well. And then as little bits and pieces kind of um, start to poke through of the real nature of some of these relationships, it makes it, for me, I felt it it gave new light onto those earliest chapters. And not that they were that much earlier, but like if you reread the first couple <laughs> chapters, um, you can see how obvious some things are. And it really hooked me to yeah. want to read more. Um, so, yeah, mm -hmm. very effective. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely an awesome strength of Kaito's writing is that he makes such compelling relationships, but also that he's very smart and subtle about describing things about characters just so, so small with, like, expressions they make and, like, how he frames certain panels. Like, before we get, like, the reveals, if you read, like, the first couple chapters, you can totally figure out, like, what is going on in these characters' heads as they're interacting with each other and what they're feeling. And that's mm -hmm. just so rewarding when you reread the series and can kind of see these are, like, the seeds of, like, this character being set. And, like, they are already fully formed as who they are, like, before we get to learn more about them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Mm, that, that's really interesting. So far, in general, what I what I really like about Blue Flag is, um, and I, I mentioned this on the CrossManage episode, but one of my only, like, criticisms of CrossManage was that as much as I really enjoyed Kaito's paneling in that series in particular, I did feel like there were times where uh, some pages could be kind of cluttered be just because of how many panels were stuck on one page at a time. But uh, I, I feel like I feel like I don't have that problem with Blue Flag so far. I like it, Kaito obviously still does this thing that I really enjoy, where uh, he sequences certain moments very well and kind of gives moments time to breathe that way. But I like that he's kind of lowered the panel count per page. I feel like it makes this series a lot easier to read compared to Cross Manage because there's not a, there's not as much going on at, on one page at a time. Definitely. I think he definitely allows for more white space and like even more borders between panel breaks, which I think that he uses very effectively several times to communicate the passage of time, too. So I really like that he started to kind of use just the simplicity of like white space, white backgrounds, like really effectively on top of, of course, still having beautiful background art and really illustrative art throughout the series. But it's like really, really cool to see the evolution of his art, specifically like his paneling composition in that respect. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because at times you'll see these panels and if you just have the page kind of out of context, it looks like it's like a sho shoujo panel. 
Mm. Like, and it, it kind of has that flavor sometimes being, you know, kind of this love triangle at times. The first time I just flipped through the the first Tonko, I was like, is this seriously a, a jump plus? Like, just looking at <laughs> at the art at times and just looking at, yeah, the panel layout. Like, I kept, like, looking at the spine, like, is this jump plus? Did they make a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know... No shade to to shoujo series. I was just so surprised because it just felt different than you know, especially Kaito's previous works with the paneling. Yeah, and it it definitely feels a lot more mature in a way that you don't really get from a lot of romances published in Weekly Shonen Jump for oh, sure. Definitely, like, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Like I can definitely see why this is chosen to publish it under the signature line because I definitely think. Tonally, this series skews more towards like kind of an older crowd, but also it is tackling like topics that I don't think that a lot of gym series explore quite in this level of emotional depth. Yeah. Mm. And if we're being real for a second, like the Viz Sig line has a slightly bigger trim size, and this series deserves the yeah, absolutely. So, like, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Biggest pages as possible to just allow us to absolutely admire Kaito's beautiful, beautiful artwork. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, I totally feel the shoujo vibes. Like, something I was thinking about a lot when I was uh, flicking through the first few volumes just to, like, remind myself about it all, uh, is a lot of the way screen tones are used in the quiet moments. Mm. It's, it's all very uh, breezy and open and spread out. And, like, there's the moment with the battle pencils. Uh, it's almost no dialogue at all in the first chapter that totally has this, uh, like, full-on the, the sort of screen tones you would see in a shoujo manga, and I was just like, oh, this is so weirdly refreshing to see in a shonen series, of all places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just pushing the, uh... No, not pushing, I, I guess blurring the lines more between demographic art, which should always be the case, but you don't realise it's not happening until you see a thing actually do it. Yeah, I mean, Kaido employs a lot of soft, this kind of fading style of a screen tone that does feel very kind of in line with Jojo romances, for sure. It is very unique the way Kaito uses screen tone, especially in contrast to Crossmanage, where I think we discussed that it felt like he wasn't employing it quite as much, but here, like, he uses this to really great effect. I think one of my favorite effects in the first volume is when Taiji's kind of being consumed by his jealousy and it's just like the background and it's it's like just an inky black blotch as his jealousy is just seeping out. And then in the background, like it's just also this fading effect with like these gradient of dots. Like I really, really like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's that that part in the first volume is one of my favorites. Every volume that I've read of Blue Flag has a moment where it hits me so hard. And I don't know if I like that or not. <laughs> <laughs> like uh early in the first chapter, Taichi's friends are like, "Hey, you know why why do you hate Futaba so much?" And he's just like, "Well, you know, this and that." And then he sees his reflection in in a window and you're like, oh, it's self-loathing. Oh, my God. Mm. And like, mm. I think a lot of us have kind of had a moment like that where we're like, oh, no, I just hate myself. 
And like yeah. as, as soon as I got to that part, and it's it's like I have it open here. It's it's like page seventeen, so it's really early on. And when I was lettering that part, I had to take a minute and be like, oh, oh, that hurts. That's that's so effective, you know. Like I feel that so hard. And then that scene, that's like, uh, let me see, page one eleven. Yeah, like with the swirling, like blackness and like. Yeah, I think we've all felt that sort of jealousy and you could just it's really easy to kind of put your yourself in the place of these characters at, at times like that. Mm-hmm. It, hurts. Definitely... it hurts. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I was just going to say, yeah, that part was really unsettling. So uh, I was going to say there's a certain compassion to Kaito's writing of his characters that I personally I relate a lot to. Um, of course, like you said, there's a lot of relatability there, but also it reminds me of other mangaka like Amuki Kamatani, who has a similar way of visually representing things. And I love when, as we've talked about, the dialogue-free moments of manga, which unfortunately for a visual medium isn't always that common. (laughs) <laughs> outside of certain <laughs> demographics or genres and when a, uh, ironically yeah yeah and so when an artist can do them so perfectly like kaito does in such an effective way it does for me make me much more invested and much more concerned for the characters um going forward when i am reading it so yeah, it makes it, it turns it from like a a story that has a a plot or characters that I'm already invested in to just this higher level of wanting these kids to be okay, <laughs> right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, a look like a face someone makes, or even just their gestures, their body language, can say so much more about them and how they're feeling than words can describe. And that's especially pertinent in this series, because the series is all about characters who are trying to come to terms with feelings they don't quite understand and don't quite know how to express and articulate and tell to other people. So Kaito's ability to kind of not only beautifully write out those feelings uh, that the characters are feeling, like make them feel so understandable and relatable, but also to communicate all that just through visuals and visual metaphor. Like I think that Yuki Kamatani compares it is so apt because I definitely feel a lot of similarities between Blue Flag and Our Views at Dusk in particular, but yeah, like, yeah, it's really, really effective on both of those aspects. Mm-hmm. I guess um I guess is there is there anything we else we want to talk about in particular volume one because if not I I guess um a, a way we could kind of maybe like possibly cap off this part of the discussion is uh is maybe just talk about th- this might be hard because like I don't I don't necessarily want any confirmation I just kind of want to put out there like what I think is going to happen. And what I what what okay. I what I what I think <laughs> yeah. what I think this is not like smugly yeah. laugh behind my hand <laughs> whether you're right or wrong. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, Maxie, you'll just like clasp your hands and, and just like you know on the on the other side of the mic, there just be like, yes, he doesn't know. <laughs> I am the I am the worst at spoiling comics for people on this podcast. Uh, like I, I think I literally spoiled uh, 
the end of Nanohazard for uh, Comic Fiend. So, like, I, I will do my best not to even make a noise. I think you gave us a service spoiling us on Nanohazard. <laughs> <laughs> so, you read it, so we wanted after. <laughs> and it's, it's okay. I might, I might still read it anyway. Uh, maybe for a podcast or something. I don't know. But anyway, that's, that's not here or there. That's but, right. But no, right. yeah. Well, so. Here. So I don't know, because here's the thing. So, like, obviously I knew going in that, like, that this series was sort of an LGBTQ plus kind of series. And I, I, I knew it dealt with those kinds of things going in. But judging from the first volume, it, it doesn't tackle those kind of things right away, which is interesting. And I don't know, like, all, all throughout the first volume, I kept thinking, like, oh, well, is... Because um, I, I don't know. At, at first, I thought maybe what was going on was, oh, Taichi is jealous of uh, Futaba because maybe he's in love with Toma. But then, oh, that, that, that's totally what I thought was going to happen, too. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I thought at first, just because of how jealous he got. Mm-hmm. But it really looks like by the end of the first volume, Kaito's either going to have us think oh well toma is in love with his brother's fiance <laughs> or he's in love with taichi i feel like it's gonna go either way um well i mean the end of the first volume is uh i mean i think it kind of makes it's it clear. i feel like if you reread uh the first volume from the beginning and you pay attention to toma's expressions and his interactions with taichi i uh, i think uh <laughs> that's that's again yeah that that's that's what i'm feeling and i i feel like i'm i'm pretty right on the money there so maybe it's not a total surprise and maybe i'm just a maybe i'm just a total idiot i don't know but like <laughs> it's interesting because like kaito presents it in a way where like either way could be possible but i guess yeah knowing knowing the series and what it deals with yeah i i could i could probably uh, w- 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 let's just say one of those guesses is probably more correct than the other. You're definitely misled early on mm-hmm. until... Which is intentional on the part of the story. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I-, I wasn't really... I wasn't expecting the series to to try to misdirect me at all, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, mm. I don't know. I uh, I can't wait to read more. That's for sure. And I don't know. I'm I'm probably going to read this as it comes out or I'll probably forget about it because I'm because I'm reading so many things at once and that's just that's just how I am. And I don't know, maybe if if I if I if I sleep on it long enough, maybe we'll come back to it and do like a Manga Mavericks book club on it or something. Or uh, I don't know, anything could happen, but I mean, either way, I I want to read more of this. Like, you know, if 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 everyone else is like praises haven't already sold me then like actually reading the first volume has made me really want to read more of it so which uh i mean i'm 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 sure before you guys you know head into more uh head into talking about the series past this point i'm pretty sure it's safe to assume that like we all recommend this to people and people should go out and read this oh 100%. definitely yeah definitely yeah it's a 100% recommendation from me <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like ninety nine point nine 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 percent. I wonder if we'll talk about that point oh one percent later on. 
But uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if we have differing opinions, even. But uh, I think I want to see how would we kind of give a pitch to the of this series to people just based on the first volume. Like, not even mention things that'll happen later on, just on the strength of this first volume. Like, how would we recommend this series to people? Oh, goodness. Hmm. I would say to people that if you like reading teen drama that allows your characters to have ugly thoughts, to be flawed, and yet still find things in them that are likable and, like, reflections of the reader... Like, this is the perfect series for that. Like, this is Empathy the book in, like, yes. the most painful mm-hmm. of ways and the most positive of ways all at once. Beyond that, like, it, you know, heartwarming school drama uh, and a really good one. Like, if, if that's the sort of thing people can tolerate as a genre, like, this is the apex. I agree, yeah, completely. Yeah. I would say it's it's also, like, an unflinching um, coming-of-age story and very intimate mm-hmm. character study for multiple characters, but most notably its protagonist um Mm. if you like um or if you're sick of a lot of high school romance series especially those with love triangles then give this one (laughs) a try because it's not like others around and if you like stories and series that are a little bit more subtle and a little bit more genuine to human experience then check it out well, see, and uh, I just want to just put out there, um, I think the reason why um, why I don't like uh, love triangles in particular is because, I mean, especially when it comes to, like, manga and whatnot, uh, usually, I, f- I feel like love triangles are so dependent on, on, like, drama that in real life could be easily dissipated if you just, like talk to the person about what yeah <laughs> well, that, that's the joy of it being a teen series Compton because teens don't communicate their feelings properly so it's a natural problem yeah. <laughs> this is the one setting where it's perfectly suited to happen I mean I guess but I, I was going to say like from, from what I've read in Blue Flag so far it feels like it feels like this is going to be the kind of thing where like the characters are dealing with such like complicated heavy emotions that like aren't going to be easy to talk about, which makes this feel more... It makes this feel more realistic to me. Yeah, you know? yeah it's not like misunderstandings. Yeah. It's deep feelings. It's not like... Yeah, it, it, like you said, yeah, it's not something that, you know, two words fixes the situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, misunderstandings are cleared up in this series. Like, this is a series where problems are talked through and solved through communication. And open Sometimes, honesty. like, infuriatingly so, but they're definitely talked through. <laughs> All right, we're definitely going to get to that, Maxie. Hold your horses. <laughs> okay. now, I'm not foreshadowing a particular thing. That's just a general thing. Like, All right. But when people do talk stuff through in this, sometimes they do talk it through to the point where they almost lead themselves in circles. You know, that is a fair point. That does happen in a few different conversations. It does feel but like... That, that's also something I appreciate about it. Yeah. And and just to be clear, I'm, I'm also talking in comparison to other manga I've read where usually misunderstandings are in the form of, say, like the male protagonist being in a situation where clearly he's a pervert and... That's all we should believe and not hear his side of the story because, you know, clearly they're... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I hate that kind of stuff because that, that's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff I feel like you could easily, like, talk through if you're willing to, like, listen to somebody. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. what's great about the flag is that there is a similar moment like that in terms of a misunderstanding that gets cleared up immediately when <laughs> people good. are talking yeah. about it. <laughs> to, to, to me, that is, that is the that is that is a sign of like maturity in uh in manga almost especially shown in manga but yeah but yeah i'm i'm glad that blue flag even if it does have stuff like that it it doesn't linger on that kind of stuff for too long you know but no yeah so i'm 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 very much looking forward to reading more of this and i i think we're going to take a little bit of a break here while i step out and uh i think i'm just gonna oh. I'm, I'm just gonna i'm just gonna uh, le- let you guys like take care of the rest here because i i don't want to be spoiled <laughs> uh sh- yeah sure uh though i i wanted to give my recommendation also oh sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah and like <laughs> uh I, I really agree with everyone's like points about blue flag strengths and i think like one other aspect that i would like to use to recommend blue flag to people is that it's a series about characters figuring out what it means to love someone and like how they feel about different types of relationships and also explores the question of like when and why would you treat somebody differently which is a team that's established kind of like in the very first chapter with the very first question of your best friend or your lover, you can only rescue one, what would you do? And that is a refrain that the series returns to it several times throughout the series. And it interrogates the idea, do you need to choose? Do you need to pick? Like, it goes goes back to this idea of like, how and why do you treat differently people differently depending on how you feel about them? And then interrogating, how do you see yourself same or differently than other people? And if you're really interested in a story that explores those questions about identity and community and relationships from that respect, and characters really trying to come to terms with complicated feelings about different relationships, I think Blue Flag is really masterfully done in many, many respects. And I really love it for that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, all right. I think I'm gonna dip out of here. You know, but we'll probably say it later. But like, I really enjoyed having this conversation with you guys, and uh, I can't wait to read more Blue Flag. Awesome, always. And now I must go. Uh, my people need me. <laughs> Colton returned to his home planet. He died on the way there. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I, I hope you guys have a good rest of your conversation and uh, I will uh, I'll see you guys all later nice speaking Thank to you, you. Bye. see you later alright bye guys bye 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 you with the sad heart don't be discouraged don't realize it's hard to I see your true colors shining through I see your true colors And 
So now we're going to head into our discussion of the broader series past uh, volume one and kind of do more of a overall series uh, dissection and we were kind of talking about it off mic oh by the way i bet the i'm gonna use as transition music one of the songs off of the playlist akiko gives masumi so i look forward to either Ooh. born this way or change or true colors climb shake it <laughs> off as a transition move transition music between the two different parts of this conversation Heck yeah uh, yeah well, which got would you guys choose uh, of those songs Mm. Whichever one's least likely to cause you problems <laughs> on your relative podcatcher. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think they would like take our podcast down because we use those songs? I've never, I've never had a copyright issue before. Me neither with podcasts. I mean, we've used like uh, copyright music quite frequently on um, manga Barrett's act movies for transitional music. So I guess yeah, maybe you're right. Then. Maybe ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> But a uh, good playlist, uh, Akiko gives me there. But yeah, so let's talk about, you know, like our thoughts on the series kind of broader. And we were discussing it off mic, but yeah, some of the early stuff, like in volume two and three, perhaps, did kind of feel like so long ago that I did almost kind of forget how those events played out uh, since my initial read of it. Namely, the stuff with the cheer squad, and then kind of, I remember Toma's accident, but, you know, there were more circumstances surrounding, and then after it, that I did kind of forget in the moment. Yeah, with, uh, in volume two, uh, like, earlier I said that, like, every volume has a a moment that kind of hits me really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Volume two has one. Like a lot of stuff happens in volume two. It's 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 great. I mean, oh, yeah. The whole series is amazing. But towards the <laughs> end, uh there's a baseball game, and after the baseball game, there's the thing with the cat. Yes. Mm. Oh my gosh. And I've had cats for most of my life. Love my cats. And so like him talking about this cat that he couldn't save when he was younger, like really hit me. And then he mm. Spoilers, spoilers, I guess it's volume two. Um, <laughs> he sees this kitten kind of like stumbling into the road. And I was like, no! <laughs> and, and okay, so another series I lettered was Goodnight Poon Poon, which oh, is yeah. just so heavy mm-hmm. all the time. Like I, I'd letter a, a book and I needed to work on something that was just like vapid and happy and, you know, for like the next week because it was so <laughs> hard emotionally to work on that book (laughs) yeah (laughs) working on this cat scene was harder than any watching him try to save this stumbling kid there's he i i have this this volume open on my computer right now um in my files and he has this face as he sees his kitten and it's just this face of like oh no and it hits me so hard. It's it's not even a long sequence of him trying to save this cat. Spoilers, he does. The cat's okay. Um, it's not that long, but it's just it was. It took me probably two hours to let her because I had to keep stopping. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh! It was a yeah, lot. Yeah. Oh. cat, and then and then he sees the cat's okay, and he just yeah. has this face of relief, and I'm just like. <sighs> And then he looks up and he sees everyone else. Yeah, and he sees the the bag on the ground and I was just like, oh no. 
but I'm a terrible person. Like, like I, I had, you know, skimmed through at that point. I had been sent the Tonkos for the next couple volumes. And I was like, oh, no, it's going to be OK because he's on the cover of the next one or something like that. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I okay. know. But, but what a way to end a chapter and, right? a, and a volume. <laughs> yeah, that is. Oh, oh. The series I mean, it's so great hard. to get like that release of tension in the <laughs> very beginning of the next chapter where the first panel's like, Tom was like, yeah, I guess I broke my leg. And then yeah. everyone's like, you should be more concerned about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, he's like, whatever, <laughs> So that's a great lighthearted diffusion of like the old crap tension, but like it's still super dramatic. And it's also really stressful and fraught for Tai Chi because it's like the, his like, kind of self-hate coming from the fact that he wasn't able to save this kid and when he was a kid and then that making him also applying just in general to him feeling like he is worthless like he can't do anything to help anybody and him yeah. really looking down on himself because of that and then we have of course that conversation where he describes all this to Masumi and it's like all setting up like that he wants to be prepared so when a moment like this happens again he won't run away and like he will like put himself out there to help and then so we have this moment where it's like oh he see he sees the kid in danger and he goes towards it but like he's ignoring the danger to him like the car on the road incoming and it's like he succeeds he saves the cat but it comes at the cost of toma's injury and like causing him to get hurt and then he like starts to hate himself even more because he's like i've I've hurt Toma. I've hurt so many people around me. Like, by trying to get involved, I've just made things worse. People like me who can't do anything shouldn't even try. And then, ah, it's just so heartbreaking. Just his self-hatred. Yeah. You know, I, I like that he comes to this realization Like, he's thinking that everyone hates him because of this. Everyone is going to resent him. But, like, we see this montage of, like, how people are treating him and that that no one is holding it against him. Like, some people are, but in general, most people are happy that he's okay. Like, there's this very silent, worthless scene with his parents. Like, they're sitting at the dinner table, and, like, Taichi is, like, bracing himself. Like, if they're going to yell at him, chastise him. But, like, instead, his mom just gets up and hugs him because she's happy that she's okay. I mean, he like, man... It's just amazing things where Taichi kind of realizes that the people around him do care about it. No one sees him as the burden. I mean, Toma directly like yells at him when he's like apologizing to him. He's saying, what could be more important than your life, Taichi? It's like, mm-hmm. ah, uh. Uh, I was going to say even more than the expectations or the worry of what his parents will react, the the worry of how his Toma's brother will react and like yeah. that fear going yeah. into it was just done so perfectly. Then, and of course, his brother just being like, he was an idiot. He did that himself. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it, which is such a big brother thing to do, <laughs> which again, oh. just <laughs> so perfect. Oh, yeah. Say so is such a good, like, mentor figure. Like, he teases the characters, but he, like, he is also, like, really empathetic and understanding i really appreciate that like his conversation with toma later on in the series Mm -hmm. uh was really beautiful that that reminds me of some my more emotional conversations with you know my own parents and uh it really hit hurt me hit me but yeah like uh 
Because, uh, yeah, the whole aspect of, like, you know, Toma's parents died in a car accident. And it was because someone ran into the road and they swerved and they crashed into a truck because of that. Like, Taichi also, you know, feels guilty because he feels like he has brought up all this trauma for Toma mm-hmm. and Seiya that, you know, he is fraught with in, like, even after Seiya talks to him about it, like, he's still beating himself up over it and saying, like, he's not worthy of, you know, sympathy. Like, he was the person at fault. Tom is the victim and that everyone should be sympathizing with him and, like, leave him alone. But then Fataba doesn't leave him alone because she sees that he is also hurting and, like, needs someone just to be around, you know, to talk to and to empathize with. It's just yeah. very, very beautiful. But I think that refrain of characters not valuing themselves not seeing the good in themselves is a recurrent theme throughout the series it's not just something taichi experiences but toma futaba masume they all have varying degrees of kind of resentment for the people they are and they want to be someone else mm-hmm. and i find that very interesting is that they don't really see their own good points uh they like there's a moment in the first chapter where like taichi notices that futaba changed her hairstyle and like he kind of you know plays it off as like not a big deal that he notices because he says you know i'm not good at noticing things like this but the fact was that he did in fact notice it Mm -hmm. you know he pays attention to people and that's something that he doesn't really understand or seem to realize about himself but like other people can see in him and like about him and i think that's very true to life especially when you're a teenager there's very few people who are completely (laughs) self-confident in themselves i think most Mm -hmm. people have parts of them that they're ashamed of or afraid to be genuine about and or just have this self doubt that we as people life is kind of a series of examining ourselves and being able to accept ourselves or improve ourselves and i think that element is so very important to the story that's being told in blue flag and how what we do and the decisions we make for our own happiness might not make sense to other people it might not necessarily even be logical but if it makes you happy and it's not hurting other people of course as well it's really no one else's life you should do what makes you the happiest and what makes you most comfortable with yourself and that's something that comes up a lot and it thing it's also kind of goes hand in hand with that doesn't have to be a solitary process either the best friend power uh which comes up a lot throughout the series is is very much tied into that and remembering because again i think a lot of teenagers are very um like they feel very isolated when in reality they do have a whole community or support system around them that sees the positives that they don't see in themselves and again that friendship best friend power kind of comes straight into it yes oh absolutely that's a beautiful point and i think that really speaks to 
why I feel like I resonate with the series so much is that it's really about these characters who kind of are afraid to make decisions for themselves because they are afraid of like what other people will think and being judged by other people. Mm -hmm. And the kind of the message of the series is that you need to do what is best for your own happiness. And that means being honest with yourself and others. And you need to have trust in others that they will not reject you if you open up to them and share yourself with them. Which I think is really beautiful that you don't have to keep all these feelings bottled up inside and feel like it's a secret and that you're unknowable or ununderstandable, which is, you know, a point that I think is really well done with Masumi in particular mm -hmm. and her arc of feeling like, you know, she can't has not been able to, like, love a, a lot of people, you know, in straight relationships, but she does feel those kind of feelings with love with Futaba, but she is worried like that makes her feel weird or different and then she has this like kind of beautiful conversation later with akiko kind of coming to terms with that which was really really moving stuff and i really really love that theme of the series so much yeah but like are there any other themes or just character beats that like really stuck out to you guys i mean god there's, <laughs> there's a failed handful the big one I keep thinking of, especially when you talk about characters and like uh, self-realization and things they want to change in themselves or in how others see them, like the big pivotal one for me right in the middle of the story is uh, is Mommy. Yes, Mommy. Oh. oh my god, I love Mommy so much. Ah, uh, like in a care in a series full of characters who are afraid to speak their mind and like be true to themselves, Mommy just totally rejects like putting on any pretenses of not being who she is like she is like just open and honest about herself she's confident and she's interested in just getting to know people and being friends with people she puts herself out there even though she has suffered so much pain and rejection in her life and lost so many friendships because of misunderstandings insecurities of other people but she like continues to try because she just generally wants to make friends and like i really really admire that character a lot um, so when she first came into the story, I didn't really like her. I was like, she's kind of annoying, <laughs> you know, she's causing trouble. But after a few volumes, I realized, oh no, I'm just jealous because yeah, she she's like, I've I've dealt with things and you know, like I know what I want and I'm gonna get it. And I was just like, oh, I want to yeah. be like that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love how Kaito plays with her archetype because, like, yeah, if you've read a lot of manga, read a lot of stories, that you are going to prejudge the kind of person mommy is, and then Kaito later on totally flips that on its head and makes you re-examine your own assumptions, which is another core theme of the series is the difference between perception versus reality when it comes to understanding other people. And I really love how he does that with Mommy's character and just really deconstructs the entire idea of her character archetype. Mm -hmm. It's really refreshing, um, especially because it could have been so easy to have made her just like the stereotypical kind of rival mean girl um, bitch <laughs> that we, we've seen before, <laughs> not just in manga, but any kind of teen high school film you know it's just ubiquitous and by playing with our biases with our, our assumptions as you said it makes us even more aware of what we assume 
and how people can sometimes play up to those assumptions as well, which I think Mami does a little bit in the earlier stuff. And then she gets fed up with everybody just making assumptions of her. And, and it's, I think mm-hmm. that's, there's a level of, because she's gone through that so much, um, you would get sick of it, regardless of like your personality. You would get sick of it, especially if you don't have any kind of, you're not trying to be, but she's also, how do I word this? She's also very aware of what she wants, and she's not going to pretend to be anything else for the sake of other people. Um, she knows her feelings for Toma, and even when she realizes more about his personal situation, it doesn't. she knows that it doesn't change her feelings for him, and that doesn't make her feelings any less valid, but she can still be a supportive friend to him and a supportive friend to all of the people in her life. Um, so, yeah, really, really nice to see her handled so, so well. And that one chapter where we as an audience realized this is just, was jaw-dropping. Honestly, I was so amazed at how perfectly it was done. Yeah, I think Mommy's chapters are if they're not my favorite chapters, they are up there because I just absolutely love just that complete takedown of making assumptions and stereotypes about other people, especially when it comes to relationships between people of different sexes or people who are in relationships with other people and like saying, oh, is that awkward? Hey, don't hang around that person. And just saying like... It's so exhausting just to be jealous and insecure all the time mm-hmm. yeah. about that kind of stuff. And then I I could think uh, Mommy is such a great contrast to Misumi because Misumi is all, all about, you know, like she has that conversation with Mommy where she's like, uh, it's it makes sense why people judge you because like people make assumptions and that's like wisdom. They use past experiences to like kind of inform their perception of other people and make reasonable decisions to protect themselves is all very rational. And mommy's like, huh? Sorry, I had a hard time finding that. What you're just saying is total crap <laughs> because, like, why should I have to help defend myself against their shitty assumptions? Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. It is their own insecurity, their own, like, desire to just be kind of more socially upright than other people Mm -hmm. that is causing them to mistreat me. So that's all Garbo. (laughs) And I just love Mommy just (laughs) completely taking down that logic of Misumi. I think that also helps kind of Misumi's own re-examination of like being true to herself too, which I really like. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And circling back to one of the topics Mm. we were talking about earlier with a lot of romance manga especially love triangle manga of the misunderstandings it could have been in a lesser manga she could have been the misunderstanding right so it's so easy to have been like oh her her number he's talking to her on the phone or he eats lunch with her or whatever else and for both (laughs) of them it's not a big deal because they're friends and that's how friendship works um and she makes it very clear that that's you know we're friends that's how friendship works why do you assume that there's something going on 
what makes me different from the the guys that he hangs out with. So it is, again, just really well done when severing those assumptions. Oh, exactly. I I absolutely love, like, you know, there seems like it's going to be a misunderstanding moment when, you know, after, like, a big uh, argument with Kensuke, you know, Mommy goes off with Tai Chi and they're just, like, holding hands as, like, Mommy's just kind of regaining her composure and then Asumi and Futaba, like, see them and it's like, oh, no, is there going to be a misunderstanding? But then, like, they immediately talk it out and it's like, wait, why are you so worked up over the fact that he held my hands? It's just, like, a normal thing. And then, like, Tai Chi's like, wait... Uh, when he's trying to defend himself, he's realizing, wait, why am I trying to defend myself? Like, nothing was wrong Mm -hmm. yeah nothing happened i don't have to apologize for anything like it's just great just that entire takedown of insecurity and stuff i I really really appreciate it it's a bit of a tangent but i feel like this arc also like shows a lot of the things that really make blue flag great artistically because the the style feels really solidified at this point the uh the title pages you get some of the all-time great the series like you get uh mommy with the the bruised face like and we get oh, that before yeah. the big reveal of her character too, you know, like like the interiority mm. of her character. Like we're getting that at the beginning of the manga arc too, so which is a like real great setup of the fact that she's been hurt so much, but like she just keeps at it. I really really yeah, love and that. Yeah, and it and it becomes so clear as you go on, like you understand that like the the real purpose behind that and uh, similarly with the uh, chapter 32 with the the sunflowers obscuring the faces like that feels like a really potent image that's really stuck with me mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh just just a side note because it's the page before that sunflower one i don't know if these were posted on manga plus or not but you know between chapters sometimes they'll have extra art or whatever mm-hmm. and kaito draws the uh the characters as, as animals sometimes <laughs> so <laughs> so the picture before that they've just uh caught mommy holding uh tai chi's hand and the picture that has it has her i, I think she's an owl and he's a big fox <laughs> yes. and he's like she's like on top of him and the other two are like especially how it all plays out <laughs> the sweat coming off of Tai Chi's like little animal there as well. It's just fucking great. Yeah. Oh, this series is so good. <laughs> the, the volume extras, they're, they're really understated, like the in between chapter things with the images, but I, they really do like add a nice little breather in between things. Yeah. It's always mm. fun to see what, what will be there. And sometimes it's it's just dumb things, like <laughs> Bobby's an owl. <laughs> <laughs> Looking like she's attacking, yeah. you know, the Fedek Fox uh, Tai Chi, but uh, oh, they're all so good. Goodness, I also I also love the animals they've chosen for for everybody. They're <laughs> oh, very yeah. fitting. Like comparing Futaba to a hamster at the beginning, and then later on when she has kind of fallen in love to Tai Chi, Toma's like saying, "Oh, it seems like you've kind of like." change somehow like you become more of a i believe chinchilla is what yeah, it's a chinchilla. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To a chinchilla. i don't think it's capybara but i think that's too much of a level up Doba. <laughs> like uh masumi being depicted as a black cat is the most like no der animal choice yeah. of them. <sighs> and thomas like a big fluffy like white dog 
a friendly so doggy, which is yeah. exactly correct. <laughs> for <laughs> yes, I think that's why Ray named their dog after Toma. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, that mommy arc is is so good. It's a good reminder of the true moral of Blue Flag as well, which is that Kensuke fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> yeah, Kensuke. I mean, not even getting stuff later on, but Kensuke is probably the least likable character. Like, he he's a real jerk. But at the same time, as the series continues, you have, you have to understand that he's more complicated than... How we see him, but I still don't like yeah. Kinsuke very much. But like I understand the character. I think that Kaito ultimately did do an interesting thing with him, even though I really, really hate how he treats mommy. He's a immature yes. character. He, insofar as like mm. purposefully, he's an immature guy who doesn't mm. have the skills or the tools or the self confidence necessarily to be completely, you know, accepting or understanding. And I think especially in high school we all know this guy, right? <laughs> like this mm. this is not yeah. an unusual thing uh for a lot of guys to be in high school and it's something that by the end of the manga although we don't necessarily see it on the page, there is an assumption that he has grown past that point and possibly gotten better than what he was mm-hmm. like if you judged me as a teenager man please don't because i think we're we've yeah. all been you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we don't want to yeah. go back to high Let's school forget that chapter of our lives <laughs> that's exactly the thing though i think that's why i really dislike this because it's that sort of the the, the knee-jerk ignorance bigotry and just like uh hurt flatitudes towards mm-hmm. other people it, it's it's almost the the most verisimilistic like character thing for teenage characters in this just to have someone be a shithill not because they're a bad person but because that's the way their view of the world solidifying yeah. at that point yeah. like they're young they don't know they're not exposed to these things which uh later on in the series without getting into too much is is something they really kind of hone in on and present as present as intellectualized but the more you you look at this attitude the more it becomes clear that everyone's just kind of still developing these views they just see it as solid because when you have your opinion even if you are still growing and a a dumb kid or whatever like you think that's the the end point that your opinions Mm -hmm. hit where it stops so it must be right oh yeah they say at one point that uh he thinks that he's confident what he does because he thinks that he's right which is something that he has to be challenged in conversation mm. but also like i think that he's an interesting character in contrast to other characters because he's another one who kind of says and does things without thinking just on pure whim and feeling of the moment which is inter- interesting contrast to other characters who are like constantly obsessed over every decision and like what to say or do whether what they're doing is right and whether the way they are is right and then he in the moment, will just do something and then only regret it or realize that he might have messed up after the fact. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, which which is a, a rare thing, but not necessarily uh, good in the context <laughs> of the series. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. 
But in terms of like the greater pantheon of characters, I do appreciate the different characters and the different perspectives and the ways they behave and interact with people throughout the series. Mm. Yeah, I, I think if you, if you didn't have characters that felt this combative or instinctual or underdeveloped in their viewpoints and that, I think the series wouldn't be as enjoyable. You need that. It's not really conflict, but it kind of is, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, you need that little something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the conflict in the series is internal with characters, like them struggling with themselves. But the few external conflicts there are are also kind of like a projection of their own insecurities and feelings about themselves. Mm. I think something that's interesting about all the characters, at least personally, is practically every character like i i kind of understand where they're coming from or mm. i've i've experienced what they did like 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 their feelings like i i can understand why they did things not that it's a good thing you know mm-hmm. like i've been there you know e- even if it's yeah. just a little thing so i feel like i can relate to every character because yeah i mean i was the dumbest teen i had (laughs) you know these preconceptions i kept my feelings bottled up i you know tried to be a people pleaser i you know like like i can connect to pretty much everybody and that that makes the series feel so precious and hit so hard and hurt a lot (laughs) yeah especially when you see characters falling into these traps that like oh yeah, I did something like that. That's not going to turn out well. Yep, it's not turning out well. <laughs> it's one of the most relatable series I think I've I've read. Oh, definitely. Like, in terms of, like, the emotional conflicts in the series, like, especially internal comments and dealings with questions of self-identity and then just that frustration with yourself about various things, like, those all really hit hard. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. and again and it's so rare to see in a book that aims at the at the jump market like you'd have to go up to stuff on like the the young jump labels or anything to even begin to see similar series under under this sort of umbrella it, it's very mature for where it's aiming oh, very very yeah. much so complete agreement like in, in the actual real sense of mature as well not like everyone's bleeding violence maturity I mean, I guess I guess there is that scene with the cat, and there's some blood, so we got that covered mm. too. <laughs> and we don't have any sexy maturity either, which is the other thing. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, I I really appreciate that about the series too. I think like the one kind of like sexual innuendo joke is done really really funny. Is that like you know the initial list of qualities that Taichi thinks Tom is attracted to include big boobs, and so at one point he and Futaba are going on a list of like qualities that Futaba wants to elevate, uh, emulate to you know. So Toma would like notice her and then they get to like big boobs and like long black hair <laughs> on the list and then like they kind of sit and stare at it for a moment and you know they think about oh does it does it work if you massage them and ultimately they come to the conclusion like you know what Toma is not that kind of guy he would <laughs> yeah. not care about that and like Futaba like claps it's <laughs> just so adorable <laughs> they cross that off <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, there's so many cute, funny moments in the series, too. I love how Kaido can shift between really dramatic and really adorable art styles. Mm -hmm. Like, I love this shorthand he uses of, like, really simplifying characters' faces. He did it a bit with uh, characters in Crossmash, but he really takes it to, like, another level here in terms of how he uses it, which I think is really well well done, where they have, like, kind of these round faces, no mouths, and nose like very chibi s faces like and i i love like the expressions he can pull off with shorthand they're so adorable so much <laughs> it's so interesting as well because like buddy strike kind of felt like it was moving away from that and and i mean crashed and burned <laughs> and yet you see it like being so much more embraced here with like the big successful series for kaio and like i love that because it was always the thing that appealed to me most about their art mm-hmm. out the gate Mm-hmm. The ability to like go goofy and weird, yes, and yeah. simple. Yeah, another thing that I really appreciate Kaito does with this series, with the art in particular, again with the goofy, like again, we're these are comics, and the like the the goofy comic expressions, it's the perfect medium for it, and yet not that many, unless you are particularly a gag comedy manga not too many series actually go for it which is kind of sad so it is really nice to see yeah. it done so well here mm-hmm. kind of makes me think of uh of how um taikobo in hoshinengi had like an entire other character form drawn as like a doodle and it was like hey what if we just applied this to every single <laughs> series for stuff which is i mean that that speaks to me on a deep level <laughs> I think that Kaito also does so much great work with eyes in the series. Mm-hmm. Like, especially mm. Futaba's eyes, when, like, they can get really wavy when she's emotional, but they can also get super big and glassy as well. And then also there are some times where, like, she'll just have this expression where, like, her eyes are closed and it looks, like, very just contemplative like i i really like so much like how kaito is able to channel different expressions and like twist character uh emotions using just eyes alone Mm -hmm. so frequently there's so many Mm. just absolutely piercing gazes that just hold so much weight throughout the series and and it gives me shivers i'm like ooh, <laughs> which which is just like yeah. oh my gosh effective. especially especially when it comes from toma mm-hmm. who's a character who normally you know has that kind of like cuddly friendly inviting look but on the few expressions where he gives like a fierce or like stern or sad look like it, they really hit so hard because of that contrast yeah <laughs> Yeah, and you you kind of get the opposite with uh with Masumi mm. uh, speaking of volume two earlier, but the moment where um Ichinose encounters her with the hundred yen coin and like she's openly crying, oh, and, and you think like, oh, this isn't the sort of face I normally see from her. What's going on? Yes, uh, just oh, like yeah. it, it, it really makes it that much more potent. And the glare she gives him when she sees him too, when she yeah she realizes he's seen her crying is also so good. But I also like some of the expressions where you know masumi has like kind of more lighter surprise expressions like there's a scene like where futaba is like hugging masumi and saying like oh you guys did so great at this uh, sports festival and then like she's like blushing like you know taking it back i i like how uh toma and masumi also tease each other 
throughout the early <laughs> series about like uh you know the fact that they know who each other's crushes are and so they kind of taunt them a little bit <laughs> thinking of the uh Oh, the the cheer stuff after the sports festival. The bonus story for that is is pretty amazing. With uh, just me being like, like, oh, come here, Futaba, let's get a group picture. Come here, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? She she's not a cat, but then she like rushes over to him. And they're like, oh my god, she's a cat. <laughs> she's probably <a> like. I think it's always a relief when a series that can have such uh, serious subject matter can still be so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well. And and it and it is funny. Like uh I think more than a lot of science and Lives I come across, it does have like comedic beats that are just almost like uh a shot to head with how like sudden and like how much they catch me by surprise mm-hmm. sometimes. Like I I'm not a person who'll laugh out loud while reading comics a lot. Like I think it's the sort of thing where you know, you know, like when someone types long and they just kind of let out a bit more air. Than <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Yeah. But Blue Flag, genuinely, it's caught me so off guard sometimes yes. that I have actually like had a proper little like laugh that has, uh, I can say for fact, has made my wife jump when I've done it. <laughs> yes, I feel the same. There are just so many genuine laugh-out moments that I had rereading Blue Flag in particular that just... I lo- I think it's so important for series that you know explore heavy personal topics like this to have moments of levity mm-hmm. because it's kind of part of the full range of human experiences to like have the lighthearted good moments like moments in our lives where things are going well and people are just having fun with each other mm-hmm. and so yeah I think you need that as a contrast to when things are really serious and characters are being caught in very fraught turmoil, like internally or externally. Yeah, it's a real balance to have that super dramatic, like hard-hitting heaviness and then be able to switch it on a dime to be that really funny, um, legitimately laugh-out-loud stuff. Um, one of my favorite, well, actually, my favorite mangaka, full stop, is Fumi Yoshinaga, and that's something she does really, mm-hmm. really well in her series, and it's something that really drew me to her her work. And when I saw Kaito doing that with both CrossManage and this, I knew that, like, okay, this is my <laughs> thing, <laughs> right? Um, because you can, you get so much more of a sense of these characters when you can laugh and cry with them. So rather than just feel like overwhelmingly one or the other. Definitely. Yeah. And it never feels too pushed on you. Like it feels mm-hmm. natural every time, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a real skill to have. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So. I mean, I, there's definitely a great sense of like consistent consistency in the characters and how they behave, like both during like serious moments and during lighthearted moments. Like they are definitely still themselves during each moment. It never feels like they are completely changing who they are when the story needs to go in a more dramatic direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mean, it's a good sign just how three dimensional the characters are. Like even if you don't get to see that much of them uh, or at least if you, even if you don't get to see it until later in the story i think you always get the feeling that there there is always more to them than just their their main aspect e- even the goofy characters even omega's <laughs> got more to them than just being like the yeah. bearded team you know yeah. Yeah. that's so true 
Like, there is stuff going on with the background characters in the series that, you know, we don't spend a lot of time on. But they are also characters with their own lives and experiences. And I like that Kaito takes the time to show that and check in on that. Like, there's this shaggy-haired character who I completely forgot was in the series, even though that he appears right up to the end of the last couple chapters and he's in he, we have like a flash forward panel with yes. him in the last chapter. I guess he's in a band now and I, it's like every chapter like as I was reading the series as I was keeping up with the final year I whenever that character appeared I was like is this a new character because I completely <laughs> forgot this that this character was in the series before but he's been there from the beginning he has this like shaggy hair that goes over his eyes and like we see that he has his own life going on like at the when they go to see the fireworks mm-hmm. at like the, what was the specific occasion? It's New Year's festival, I think. Or summer, summer. Yeah, that, that that's uh, Tai Chi's birthday, I think. Yeah. Oh, yes, Tai Chi's birthday. There's a summer festival. They go to see fireworks and like they just run into that guy and he has his, he's with his girlfriend and he's <laughs> like, he has his own thing going on. And we check on on characters like that throughout the series. They're just always around and doing stuff. And I appreciate that. There's just so much of a broader world around these characters that, and these other characters come in and out of their lives even if they're not like directly a part of this like main clique of characters that we you know consistently follow and i really liked how the main characters were like oh they're together like we <laughs> we don't know them but they're like <laughs> juicy gossip <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how everyone is taken aback by it, but, but Misumi, her expression doesn't change. <laughs> so this is a total side note on everything, but I really like that Taichi, when he's not in his school uniform, he's, I think, always wearing some sort of gamer shirt. Yes! Oh. <laughs> Oh, like even even as a kid, he's wearing a he's wearing like a mother free top yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's it's so fun to like you know be pulling up the files to be working on and be like, oh, Space Invaders today. I see. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Oh, it's the PlayStation shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's really fun, and I'm always excited. Like, it's gonna be a game shirt. I know they're they're gonna hang out after school, and he's gonna change. Right? What shirt's it gonna be? Oh, oh, I like that one. <laughs> he's just, got a shirt with like play buttons on them. He has a shirt. That has text that says no game, no life. Yeah. Like he's he's a total gamer, he's a total nerd, and like I just like how it's not an aspect of his life we see a whole lot of, but it's like just part of his being that we are aware of because Kaito just sprinkles that into like just the clothing that he wears. And I just love the subtle character details like that. That tells us a lot more about a character, even if it's not like a part of them that we're like exploring like in depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it it's really cool. Like I didn't even notice that there was consistency to the style of shirts until I don't know, maybe the third volume. And I was like, <laughs> you like, like a, he's been wearing gamer shirts, and I had to go back. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, they're all gamer shirts. You do you, buddy. I like them. The thing that reminds me of again is not like okay when I ever, whenever I think of a mangaka putting like thought into clothing. It's almost always shoujo series because when they're in their plain clothes, they're very fashionable mm. or they have like a very particular style. And that's not to say mm-hmm. that like all shonen doesn't have their characters in plain clothes, but 
normally it's not with so much thought to it and i really and fashion show really shows the character's personality so it is really nice as you said to have that kind of subtle character consistency where we are learning about this character even more than we'd be if we were just reading this as like a prose um like novel where we do see that again picture tells a thousand words and there's so much strength to be able to utilize that to its full effect yeah yeah it just makes them feel so much more real because you know we all have our own wardrobes and our favorite clothes that we like to wear and we wear on certain occasions and we mix and match them up and yeah it's just nice to see that reflected you know in media that characters you know they have their own sets of clothing that they enjoy wearing and they will wear on certain occasions and that's really really cool because it tells us more about who they are and their personalities like that's one of my favorite things about the sailor moon anime is that the characters like have a set of Mm -hmm. clothing that they will mix and match Mm -hmm. up in different episodes like they don't like they will have like uh, different combinations of how they wear their clothing too and i just love that array of different styles and i really like the attention to detail here in blue flag too it's really rare with picture tees of all things yeah. as well like seeing as these are like gamer shows and that <laughs> like uh the more i think about it the, the main author i can think of who really does this in stuff that comes out in english at least is um uh, Kazuki Fanatsu, who does a uh, Yokai Girls mm-hmm. Seven Seas release, like uh, there will always be an interesting original shirt design as well. Usually, with a terrible English <laughs> phrase has come up with like every single chapter. And there's the, the something kind of nice and rewarding seeing something going on with the clothes more than just. Uh, I, I feel like what I see a lot in Shonen Jump for all things is characters get uh a uniform yeah. they have to keep wearing or almost in a sort of cynical way you think like hey is this creator thinking about being animated because it helps them have one outfit for animated <laughs> yeah. that is true but it also is just easier to just draw the same thing over and over again which mm. i think is why so many characters just have a default simple clothing style which is oftentimes uh, in the case of sports falling high schoolers like a high school uniform or even like in a yeah. fantasy series like they'll have like their own like soldier's costume or whatever like an attack on titan they all wear like the same kind of uniform and stuff mm. and bleach especially they all have the same <laughs> thing i think jujutsu kaisen is very interesting in like how it uses like just pure black clothing in different ways but that also is like another yeah kind of very simple but elegant in that case kind of a way to uh depict clothing but like yeah i mean i really appreciate the variety of different styles uh, when it's a point in series. Bleach is a really interesting series to bring up there, though, because, like, every time there's, uh, like, a colour page or anything, like, you'd see Kubo really explore all these fashion yeah. designs mm-hmm. and stuff that showed that there was that capacity there. Uh, whereas it, it takes a, a series like this that actually finds room for a little bit of uh, ordinary clothing to really allow that to come into the series properly. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think both in terms of storytelling and in terms of art in terms of just not only the broader aspects of the series but also just the nuances of it there's just so much to love about blue flag and there's just so much more that i appreciated especially like as i read through it uh again for this podcast and like i reread it all in one go mm-hmm. like chapter ones through the very final chapter just all in one setting it took like four hours uh four and a half hours that has to have been such a roller coaster for most of you. It was. 
And I could not get out of my seat because once I started reading it, like I was, I just had to stay there mm. and continue reading because I remember <laughs> just everything that's so great about the series and just I really wanted to read more and relive experiencing a lot of beats in the story and like see it from a new perspective, knowing like how things turn out, paying attention to like how things are done and noticing so many nuances that I hadn't noticed before. I think that this is a series that is absolutely rewarding to reread mm-hmm. definitely i cannot wait to have the full complete physical release so i can just sit down and binge it all again because by the point that we were getting into the last maybe three months of releases i was consistently crying every single chapter <laughs> I would get the notification from Manga Plus at 11 o'clock at night on a on a Sunday night. So right when we started, you know, uh, recording this and I would read it immediately. I would drop whatever I was doing, even if I was about to go to bed. I was like, nope, have to read this. And then I know that I'm going to cry and then I have to tweet about it. And then I can go to bed <laughs> because it was, I, I cry so easily. I'm just, I, I'm going to be in tears the whole last volume then, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's such an experience oh. and roller coaster is definitely the word for it. I think, um, and being able to reread that, even and with the hindsight of knowing what's going to happen, how it ends, whatever else, you can. There's just so much you can gain through rereads, and I think that's a series that has a lot of value to it. Because sometimes series are wonderful; they're really great, but they are a one and done type of deal. You only need to read it once to get the story, or to experience it properly that first time. Whereas Blue Flag, I just know, will be a rereadable series for myself. And I'm sure lots of other people. Definitely. Yes. I have trouble rereading series I've worked on because I, I notice all the errors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. so, so I was rereading this yesterday and like a couple pages in, I'm like, oh, I don't like the placement of that. Oh, oh my God. Oh, no, no. Just put it aside. Just read read the text. Look at the pictures. Don't, don't look at my work. But it's... Like I, I rarely, rarely reread the things that I, I've, I've lettered because of that. But Blue Flag is definitely one of those that I too cannot wait till it's all done, it's all out, and then yes, I could just sit for an afternoon and reread it because it's, it's so worth it. It's mm-hmm. so worth it. It's so good. It's not an easy read. Yes, absolutely. It, it's not an easy read because of all no. the emotional stuff, but it's an enjoyable read. Yes, it's cathartic. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my gosh, so much so. Yes. Like, I think that a lot of people will be able to see themselves in these characters and kind of recognize themselves in them. And, you know, especially maybe even for younger readers, this might be helpful in working out their own feelings. Oh, I I completely agree. I feel like if I had something like this when I was a teenager, it would have helped me, yeah, come to terms with some things I was going through and some things I was feeling. And, you know, maybe not solve everything. It's it's not a magical tome, but mm-hmm. it would have, I think it would have helped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, like, in, in a weird way, it kind of helps. I, I think a, a lot of people would look at eight volumes and think of it as kind of a, a twee size in terms of what we expect manga to be. But it's 
that's part of what makes it so easy to digest and reread and like relive those emotions and to recommend to people yeah. because like that that's super achievable for people to give a go and read the whole thing and like come to the conclusion of the complete package like i i, I could definitely live for more series this potent and this uh not compact because eight is still eight but like definitely of a controlled size where it feels like it ran the amount it mm-hmm. was supposed to mm-hmm. and did everything mm-hmm. it needed yeah, not, to. Not having yeah. finished it clearly, um, but it definitely feels like one of those series. Uh, another one that comes to mind instantly is uh, is Astro Lost in Space. Yes, yes. Where it's yes. like this is the story mm-hmm. we wanted Absolutely. to tell, and I told it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't run too mm-hmm. long. It didn't get canceled. Boom! Here's my story. It's done. And I feel like those series, especially in for manga are, are so rare that yes. they don't overstay their welcome and they tell everything they want to yes yes absolutely like everything in blue flag is purposefully placed there for a reason and is part of a story that is necessary and propels things forward and it reaches like a natural conclusion and culmination of the themes and story it wanted to tell i think it's just so beautifully paced and i think that you know, because it is relatively short, it also is like very easy to digestible. And there was never really a frustrating part of the story in terms of like, I wanted them to get to a certain place faster. Mm -hmm. I never felt that with the series as sometimes you can often feel with romance series, Mm -hmm. especially. So (laughs) I, I absolutely appreciate it for that. Yeah, I've gotten to the point with manga reading that depending on genre and depending on demographic, if a series is like over 10 volumes, like 10 volumes is the sweet spot. Like if you're at 10, mm. even 15 volumes, that's good. If you're a longer shonen or an ongoing shonen, I'll I'll <laughs> ease it up to like, you know, 25, 30. There's some, there are some exceptions to that rule that I follow. But usually... A manga does not need to go on for that long. I'm currently reading Naruto <laughs> for the first time, um, and which has been an experience. And I've gotten oh. to <laughs> I've gotten to like the early war part. And everyone told a lot of oh my, my good gosh. friends told me like, oh, it really drops off at volume fifty. Um, and then it'll pick up at the end. <laughs> and I was like, okay, reading it, I was enjoying it, liked it a lot. Literally hit volume 50 and was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't care oh, yeah. about any of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I understand now. And I had never had, yeah. I had never really had that much of a huge change in my opinion. Because before that, I was like, this isn't my thing. And I'm like a bit. To, like I'm obviously not the target demographic audience, but I'm enjoying it. You know, it's what it's fun for what it is. And then immediately that that fight, like a certain fight happened. I was like, I don't even care about this anymore. It's been a slog. Ouch. I think like especially a problem with longer series and Minato, especially with that part of the story, <laughs> is that they feel like they're retreading the same mm-hmm. ground and spinning their reels at a certain point. Mm. And you you don't get that with Blue Flag. Like everything in, is propulsive in terms of the plot. Yes. <laughs> like everything leads to the next and to the destination. And there's not any point where it feels like, oh, let's bring back older 
themes and characters and revisit them and do that for a year before actually <laughs> hey, substantial things with the characters. You remember this? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a great contrast. <laughs> yeah. It's a great contrast to the sort of uh, romance rom-com sort of slice of life stuff that had run in the main magazine. Because like, I, I remember being really pleased with uh, Nisekoi mm. at the time for the fact that it was hitting that point of becoming the longest running romance jump had mm. ever had. And then it became it and I realised... Oh, no, actually, this is a terrible <laughs> thing to become. Oh. Middle, of Niz- middle of Nizakoi, I feel, again, that same spinning its wheels kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, like, I feel like it was going for that record. Like, it wanted to get it, but it, it's a monkey's paw <laughs> thing. Like, if you've got a story that has a definite end point to it, like, sometimes you've you got to hit it earlier. Like, longevity can hurt. And I think part of the thing that helps with Blue Flag is it. I, obviously, all comics have to take themselves at least slightly seriously. They're a thing being produced to succeed, or whatever. But it takes its subject matter very mm-hmm. seriously, and it's like, and having that level of uh, knowledge of the tone and what it's presenting, I think, made it clear that its lifespan had to be what it was. Mm. Yes, mm. absolutely. Yeah, it really—you can always tell when a series reaches its natural conclusion versus when a series is making too much money and they don't really have the option to finish it the way that they want or they're told to extend it or whatever else. There's just, uh, I think when we're talking about like longer shonen, although this one isn't even close to some of the jumps titles, but Full Metal Alchemist is kind of my go-to with this, where everything in mm. that series has a purpose yeah. and there's nothing... That's no chapters that feel overly long. Everything is really decently paced and it's consistent. Whereas some other titles, even romance titles, I think Kimi Todoke is a great example of this. That series did not need to be 30 volumes long. And so... Is is, is that series done now? Because yeah, it just kind of... like I used to... Okay, yeah, because I I was keeping up for for a while and I was like, I'm just going to stop here and eventually i'll buy the rest because not a lot's going on yeah like, i was enjoying it but it just yeah it just kind of felt like spinning its wheels mm-hmm. yeah but I, I think some series can totally do it um skip yeah. beats at like yeah, volume 45 or so exception. and like and, and that's kind of maintaining it yeah but like that's the thing it it's always the exception mm-hmm. to the rule you you can't have it be the yeah. normal it, it's a it's a risky game mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I'm not happy when a series runs past, like, 15 volumes or 20 volumes. Uh, God knows, I stopped reading The Promised Neverland a few months back just because oh it, it was getting too long for me. Because like, you, you get a feeling, I think, when you're reading a series of, like, oh, this series like could go on forever or needs to be a finite length now. And when it doesn't match those expectations, just exhaustion yeah. starts yeah. setting yeah. in. Yeah, Promised yeah. Neverland was one of those series that I, I kind of thought it was going to be, like, a 10-volume series. Me too. And it would have been amazing as a 10-volume series. I think they said around halfway into, I guess, where the series is at this point, that they were aiming it to be around the length it is currently. So, I mean, Promise of is definitely wrapping up, but like it definitely felt like uh, it has been kind of dragging this past year for sure in particular. I haven't, I haven't read it in like... A year and a half, so I'm kind of afraid to get back to it. Yeah, and Promise Neverland <laughs> in the grand, greater pantheon of Jump series is going to end still relatively short. Mm-hmm. But, like, it just kind of goes to show that, like, even 
like just at 20 volumes like it can still feel like you're dragging your feet if you just don't have enough story or you're mm-hmm. not really like doing anything with the story that needs to be there yes like there's a lot of stuff in promise everland where you could say well these are characters that are underexplored these are ideas that are unexplored that they need to be here if you took them out if you've lessened the focus on them it could be more con- compact and more enjoyable mm-hmm. and i think What's great about Kaito's writing, and we talked about this uh, in Crossmanage, is that he focuses on the important stuff in terms of themes and characters and what, mm. and he never lost sight of the story he wanted to tell and kept it on that same track. And, and thanks to that, like it, I mean, Crossmanage managed to be cancelled in a way that felt like a natural conclusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. It, it can pay off to be well planned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess since we spent a lot of time talking about ending, it's like, I suppose we could say into kind of the conclusion of this discussion portion, because we got quite a few Q&As that could touch upon like some other aspects of the story that we haven't talked about so far, or other aspects of the series that we haven't talked about so far. So I suppose, do we want to give like a kind of overall final recommendation or... I mean, I think I guess we did kind of sum up like how we recommend the series earlier. And if you've listened this far, I think we've just gone in greater detail about all the strengths about the series. <laughs> Buy it, it's great. If you're disappointed, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> I judge your taste. <laughs> then I guess we'll move on to just some questions we got off of Discord. But actually, before we even get into those, I have a question for Ace, because Ace, you've been lettering the series for Viz, and I really, really love your lettering in the first volume. I feel like that there's a ballpoint, like, pen-esque aesthetic to, like, how some of the uh, sound effects are lettered in terms of, like, there are, like, kind of lines that look like they were gone over more than once. And I really appreciate that feel of it. Oh, thank, thank you. Yeah, I, I, Kaito's work sometimes has that kind of scratchy look to it. And, I mean, it's my job to match it best I can. So I, I try. I don't always succeed, but I'm glad you, you like it. Thank you. I think you're doing an awesome job. Like, especially, like, comparing it with, like, the manga plus uh, translation. Like, I think you capture, like, so much more of the unique qualities of Kaito's sound effects than, like, uh, the sound effects used in that translation. Oh, so I think that it's really, really amazing. And I wanted to ask, like, what were some of your favorite sound effects to letter in these early volumes? Like, what are were some of your favorite moments? Um, oof. So some of my favorites are also some of... Uh... I guess the ones that I also hated doing. <laughs> like, whenever it's a big sound effect, it always takes a lot longer. There's, I think it's in volume two. Let me pull up my files. During the sports festival, and they're playing the drums mm. at the very beginning. Yeah, it's, you'll see, it'll be on page 94. <laughs> Volume <laughs> and there's there's a uh, a big old sound effect where Futaba's kind of trying to pull herself out of this this murk and like try to start doing what she needs to and and Taichi hits the drum really loud and it's this 
sound effect that goes tum and it's it's <laughs> on top of them so i had to redraw parts of both of them and it's got tone on top of that and it was very tiring but i'm really happy with how it came out because the original had such a neat effect to it and i i don't know if i captured it but i'm pretty happy with how it came out really any sound effect that i get to play with a little more like i get to draw on top of you know it's not just text it takes longer sometimes it's more annoying and i don't want to do it but it is the most fun to do mm. awesome i'm looking forward to seeing those yes me too i really look forward i hope to you it. guys enjoy <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah that's gonna be awesome to look out for and yeah i guess now we'll head into the discord questions uh we got some starting off from Tropical, who had actually quite a lot of questions. Uh, starting off, they asked, uh, which story arc, character, or chapter do you feel the series had most success in accomplishing in terms of presenting LGBT uh, themes and experiences? Hmm. In terms of the specific thing, I think one of the interesting and frustrating things about rereading Blue Flag, I will admit, is that there isn't a point in the story where Toma or Masumi outright say they are gay or a lesbian. Like, they stay closeted, and they don't outright, like, say that for a long, long time. So... I think the most uh, kind of resonant thing is just that feeling of insecurity of feeling like, oh, am I different and being afraid of that and being judged for that. So in that regard, I feel like I really related with Masumi in particular, because for her, it was very much like all internal and very much all about this fear of like judgment and the fact that people she thinks people don't understand her. And she's not trying to open up to people or let them understand her. So I did really resonate with that personally. But like more broadly, I don't know if like anything you can really say anything like was specifically successful because everyone's experiences and how they kind of grapple with their own sexuality is very different. Mm -hmm. I think one. Yeah, I I couldn't. Sorry, go ahead. I I just wanted to say, I think that's part of the reason. Like, there's no one specific moment, and that's because coming to terms with your identity or realizing your identity isn't just, for a lot of people, isn't just like, a, oh, yes, like, this is, you know, there is a process of self-reflection and reassessment, and it isn't inherently a, oh, yes, this is what I am, and this is what I'm always going to be sort of thing. I am not personally part of the LGBT community, um, so I don't really have any authority when speaking about people's experiences, but I feel like it's such a complicated thing. Like, identity, regardless of whether it's sexual or gender or just your general identity, is always a process. And especially when... It's coming from uh, manga um, and is is handling these topics in relation to Japan. And we are talking about a shonen manga as well. Um, there are limitations to what can be said and what can be shown, which is one of the things that I think is for the later part of the series and 
the last chapter especially is something that did impact that perhaps to its detriment but perhaps that's what the limit is right now and it is still like it's still an important type of story that's been told here yeah i think that's definitely important to keep in mind that the audience and platform that the story was being released in may have had its own limitations that prevented kaito from being more explicit in certain areas about parts of the story especially regarding like lgbtq identities being kind of openly expressed so in that regard you don't quite get the same catharsis as you do from reading at least for me our dreams at Mm -hmm. dusk where it's where it's very very open and very very raw but yeah i i still think that there was a lot of valuable kind of emotions being explored that were for me personally when I, I remember how I was dealing with those same feelings, uh, there were things that I connected mm. back to my own experiences mm-hmm. that I really appreciated. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's more just a little moments like like you'll see other characters grow in, re- in their relationships. And then you see, you know, Masumi and Toma kind of reacting to things. And I... I haven't had exactly that sort of experience, but like I've had similar things where you just kind of understand like why they're being quiet. And, you know, (laughs) I I, I don't know. There's just a lot of times when, because they didn't say anything, it's just like, yeah, I understand why you're not talking. I understand why you're dealing with this in a certain way. So yeah, it wasn't. So, and again, I've only read, you know, the first five volumes, but yeah. You know, so far in what I've read, it's it's the it's the all, all all the time and kind of the background, seeing how they're dealing with their feelings and their emotions, and you you really feel it, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially, I think if you're part of the uh, the community and you've experienced something similar. Yeah, absolutely, and like. <laughs> It, it, it sounds in a weird way. It's almost slightly relieving that it didn't have to be about making some grandiose mm-hmm. statement about who you are, because I am sick to my stomach of having that be how I see stories that are that are like mine or like others I know. Like as a, as a person in the LGBT community, uh, like you you don't want it to always be about that. And this story is about that, but it does it in a way that has a level of restraint. That I think feels more more human and more careful, which is probably because of the publishing environment. I mean, this is Shonen Jump Plus, but it's still Shonen Jump, you know, which had fucking Bon Bon Zaka Drama High School Club, or whatever it's called, (laughs) which was maybe one of the fucking most ridiculous representations of a gay character ever, or One Piece, which still has Bon Mm. Clay, which, say what you like about Bon Clay, there's problems there. Uh, Actually, Maxi, this brings to mind uh, is Hina Change like the only jump or jump plus series where a character openly says that they are gay? God, I'm so, so incredibly glad you decided to bring up <laughs> Hina Change because, <laughs> hey, li- listeners at home, if you <laughs> like Blue Flag, give Hina Change a chance because it is sloppier, messier, more painful, intensely problematic, but it's definitely in the same vein of actually pushing forward what you can mm-hmm. see from Shonen Jump, because it is incredibly open about having a gay character. It manages to to play with concepts of gender almost incidentally because of having a gay character and a body-switching mechanic. Mm-hmm. Like, 
uh, and and yeah, it it pushes the envelope a bit more than Modern Blue Flag, and actually succeeds a lot less because of it. It's not a very popular <laughs> series, uh, but I I think I think Blue Flag's successes at telling an actual LGBT story in Shonen Jump Plus has really made a change for where these stories can be told. It, it's it's an incremental progress, but it's one that's been handled incredibly well, and it is progress for uh, a publishing environment that kind of sucks for these yeah. things a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like the there's a conversation that Toma has with his brother that when it mm. came out, people weren't that happy with how his brother reacted to um, Toma basically telling his brother that he's gay. Mm. But I feel like that is a very, very accurate mm. representation of just how it is to be gay within Japan. and Or anywhere. I think it takes a, lo- a little while for people to fully accept um, the people in their lives if they're not expecting it or they're not comfortable with it or they just haven't even considered it. It's It's something that is still a very complicated issue which we see in Kamatani's work, which we see in a lot of works written by LGBT creators, because mm. I don't know Kaito's sexuality, and I think that's also an element of this. Perhaps is coming from a cisgendered or or not like straight person, non queer person, and so it's their mm. their attempt at telling this type of story, and it's not as personal to them as perhaps. Yuki Kamatani's work or Tagame's work. So there's there's a lot of different elements here that make Blue Flag what it is in comparison to other works that are purely LGBT, whether that be Our Dreams at Dusk, whether that be My Brother's Husband, whether that be whatever else. So there is there's things that I think are done purposefully that might, from a Western perspective of the LGBT community, seem... Like it's not pushing the envelope enough, but it is more reflective of what Japan society is right now, um, generally. Hmm. Yeah, I think so much of the perception of this series does hinge on how little we actually know about mm-hmm. Kaito as an author, because... I mean, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but like, would we know almost nothing about them? That like their their gender, their age, like all that stuff seems to kind of be like closed book stuff. As as is the right of any author to be private, and people get kind of weird about that. But uh, I I think it, it does always make you wonder about intentions. I'm so intent on not talking about the contents of it, but chapter forty four of this series again has a an argument like intellectualizing a lot of the stuff in the series where you have to wonder ultimately where Kaito as the author falls on which side of the two arguments or whether they they agree with either like mm-hmm. thing they're presenting which is incredibly frustrating because you want that understanding of the author to have a better understanding of what they're saying and I think by the end of the series you you know you get the idea that they are coming at it from mm-hmm. a very positive aspect but it, it can make it difficult sometimes you know that's I think a good point to kind of jump ahead to one of Tropical's uh, next questions is that they ask, do you feel that the manga's tackling of the subject of homophobia to have been well-written and crafted, or did the conclusion with the uh, enlightened centrism uh, to be off-putting? I hate it. 
I really hate this chapter. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or poorly uh, fought through. And it it will take until uh, I, I think volume seven eight before you'll actually really encounter the particular thing where this argument okay. comes to. So I'll I'll be super vague, but. I don't know if I would necessarily call it like super centrist. Yeah. I think again, it's it's the issue of perception. Yeah. If you it, don't, it ties back into if that you don't team. understand Kaito's personal view, like mm-hmm. what what do you do with it? Like, do you, where do you fall? Yeah, I feel like that chapter was. I think the message I think seems to be misunderstood, but I don't know if I necessarily understand it better myself. To me, I think the point was that the character in question was being kind of ragged on, you know, for justified reasons, but also in a way that wasn't very helpful to kind of help them like understand why was he was wrong and work through those feelings Mm -hmm. and kind of repair the relationship, which was kind of the goal of the conversation and the way it was being done was losing sight of that. Now, obviously I think absolutely you can't, give toxic people the time of day people who aren't willing to understand or actually listen to you but that wasn't really the truth in this case and that was i think part of the point is that like this Mm. was a friend and like they regret what they did they have their hang-ups but they're they recognize that they're wrong and they're trying to work through them and trying to reevaluate them and so that needed to be done kind of from a more empathetic place and what was being uh going on in that chapter mm-hmm. uh, up till like kind of the point being made so i i think it was well done on from like because it again ties back into the broader theme of like perception versus reality and projecting kind of how you think the other people is feeling and as it's kind of exploring that conversation that character is coming from a place where you know the other characters didn't know and then they have to kind of reconsider like okay, why did he act that way when he, he's coming from that place? Mm-hmm. And then how do we go forward? From I here? think, again, it relates to the immaturity of a lot of these characters because they're young. You know, they don't have <laughs> the tools and they don't have, not the mental capacity, but it's a very highly emotional situation. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to come into a situation or... or um handle a situation completely logically that's not how humans work and regardless of your gut Mm. reaction that something is different for everyone and it is a process and hopefully especially with characters who are going through this process who are young enough that they're still forming their opinions and their ideas and their experiences which again is not something that is only limited to adolescence but hopefully by coming across it now it does give them the opportunity to again challenge those perceptions and to grow from this and to become a better person i agree yeah in a lot of ways it's kind of it's kind of olive branchy like it's reaching out to people who may have uh negative views or may not even have fully formed views because they're they're stuck in that knee-jerk stage or even if even if they're being positive but kind of just parroting what they think people Mm -hmm. expect them to say like i think it's saying to them like hey here's some musing on it like think on this yourself like grow as a person like because i because i don't think a comic can tell you the answers and i think in a way i'm being unfair to this particular section of the story because 
I, I almost want it to present my own viewpoint on these things uh, yeah. better without it having to be like a back and forth. Mm. But I, I, I appreciate it. I, I think what it's trying to do is different and challenging, but not necessarily the worst. Yeah, I'll, that's my, that, I'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that actually brings up kind of a good point about like some of the criticisms I've seen in Blue Flag and things I've been thinking about as I reread the series of kind of perceptions of what the story of the series was about and then kind of like what it was trying to say and maybe some of the disconnect there. Uh, and we'll get to that, I think, more specifically centering around Masumi and happens with her in the ending. But uh, before mm. we get to that, uh, I guess, kind of to spring off of the uh, previous question, the next question Tropical had was, you know, do you feel that the manner that the series tackled the response and acceptance of homosexuality to have been well presented? And this ties back into the talk that Toma's older brother gave him in chapter 47. And I think, you know, we discussed before how people were like, you know, upset with what Thomas Brothers says in that chapter because they were applying it to like this idea of Toma coming out but like Toma does not say anything to say in that chapter like I don't think through that chapter Seiya really understands what's going on with uh, Toma but I think the idea is like Seiya cares about Toma and so he is worried about him. And so, like, you know, he's just talking from, like, his experience. And that's kind of the point he emphasizes is that he has his own experience and he has his own kind of view about what might be the best path for Toma. But that's also what he tells Toma is that, you know, the one who ultimately can decide what is best for you is you. And even if I might disagree with some of your decisions because it might make your life harder you know, I will ultimately not, I won't disown you. I am still your family and I will like, you know, be there for you. This is still your home and stuff. So I still, I think it was well handled that chapter. I, again, I, that's what I was talking about earlier in terms of like conversations I've had uh, that really moved me and felt real to me. And it ties back into that making choices for your own happiness theme, um, which is just so prevalent, especially towards the end. You, sometimes you not, aren't making the logical choice that society would deem like easier, but if it makes you happy, then ultimately that's you know the most important thing. And hopefully you have people around you who will support you in that. Most definitely. Um, now we're gonna get to the question about Asumi and Ace. If I think you should mute us for this part so that All you right. don't get spoiled. Uh, I'll let you know when we're done talking about this part. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're going to get to the Masumi question, which is an another one of those big questions that we're kind of hanging over the podcast. But yeah, Tropical asks, you know, thoughts on the supposed theory about Masumi's husband being trans? Uh, I, yeah, I, I have that reaction too. Um, Tropical says that they it, it's a reach. Yeah, Tropical says they don't subscribe to the theory personally, and that people are grasping to make something that we had skipped, which he states to be Masumi coming turns to a bisexuality to take to make some measure of sense to it. And uh, my feelings on this is that I think it is a reach, 
to say that Mrs. Sumi's husband is trans, but also I think that is kind of misguided thinking to say that, oh, uh, it's okay. Masumi's husband is trans. Uh, she's still queer. She is queer still, obviously, because she had feelings for Hitaba. Like, her husband doesn't need to be trans for that to be reestablished. But the whole, again, the, but also in a broader sense, again, uh, speaking to the fact that Masumi never outright calls herself a lesbian throughout the story uh, is important to keep in mind because kind of the point of her character is that she doesn't know, like, what she is necessarily but she knows she's different and she's afraid of that and she's afraid of being rejected because of that and that's kind of like what her you know conversation with akiko is all about it's like you know not being afraid of like how other people take who she is or being afraid to just be open about that and then also like Speaking more towards her relationship history and like how that kind of impacted, like, kind of like her thoughts mm-hmm. on herself. Like, she, well, when it was in a lot of relationships with, you know, guys where she wasn't really feeling anything, she didn't really feel love for them, but she felt like kind of those feelings for Futaba. And so she was trying to grapple with why am I not feeling these feelings with guys, but I'm feeling it this way with Futaba. What does that make me? And that makes me different. And should I be ashamed of that? Like she's a part of her is ashamed that even though people are trying to love her, she can't reciprocate that love. And she feels kind of shame and guilty for the fact that she feel she feels she has to keep like the fact that she loves Futaba and like her struggle a secret from her. So that kind of compounds itself. And it makes her feel like she's not really worthy of being understood or loved or like she's so different that no one could possibly understand her. So like her arc is mostly just trying to realize that those feelings are not something to be ashamed of. There's something to be, you know, explored and talked about and like come to terms with. And so with the ending, I think that Misumi, again, the fact that she loves Futaba still means that she's queer, but I don't think it's like necessarily, you know, a bad thing that she, uh, a thing that was not set up necessarily that she ended up with a man. Because I think the broader point, if you look with her husband, is that the traits he has <laughs> is very similar to she has a Futaba's. Type. Like, I think she clearly has a type. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. there's a specific person and personality i think she's attracted to and then she found that in someone else and that's kind of like a thing emphasized in the chapter itself is that uh her husband is like talking to the perspective character which i I think we can all clearly say it's toma but he's talking to him and he's saying like hey you know i i'm nervous i get i get nervous when Mizumi's around other people because she's so well but you know i should not be so insecure because the fact is more than any other man or woman, she chose me for me. And, like, I should be comfortable and secure in that. And I think that's kind of the... Getting back to the point is that, you know, it's not really about kind of, you know, making a binary choice. Like, sexuality and love is a spectrum of, like, different feelings. And ultimately, Masumi found someone that she was able to connect with and she really loved. And I think that's, you know, really well done. But at the same time, I do absolutely understand the frustrations with her character, Mm. especially because, you know, the ending 
there isn't a, you know, lesbian couple. There isn't like that representation, which a lot of people were hoping for and wanted to see. I had a conversation with someone who, you know, identifies as lesbian, was very upset with that. And I think that was totally valid to feel hurt by that because oftentimes, you know, there are stories where it seems like, you know, women are dealing with their queer sexuality, but ultimately they do end up with men. And those are all really disappointing. And I think from that perspective, I think it is, it is, you know, perfectly valid, totally valid to kind of have mixed feelings and not be happy with how Mizumi ended up. But I think in terms of the text of the story and like what her art was, I don't think Kaito did anything wrong in how he wrote the character. I think like it was consistent with the direction and the destination that that character was heading, especially that's my feeling on it rereading from beginning to end, Mm -hmm. kind of in one go. I would actually parrot a lot of what you said in that I agree wholeheartedly. I, I feel like one of the biggest things about Masumi's character is, or Masumi's character is that she, she had feelings for Futaba and you try to quote unquote fix herself with relationships with guys, which is when they, when they didn't work she was kind of struggling with like, well, then I will never love a guy basically, or I'm not built to, I don't have attraction to men, which is part of her again, kind of re-examining herself. And she was never going to be as openly proud or vocal about her sexuality as Toma was. I feel like they're very different personalities and their journeys are very different because of that. I will say as for the like trans headcanon or whatever, the possibility of her husband being (laughs) transgender, I, reading it, honestly, some of the conversation kind of had that possibility for me. I don't think it's a necessary addition. I don't think it, it makes like it a more valid queer relationship or anything like that. I, I just thought like, that might be a thing that happened. If it is, that's cool. If it's not, that's also cool. Again, she definitely has a, a type of personality that she's into. Yeah. <laughs> so regardless, like her husband seems very well matched to what she enjoys or what she loves in, a, in people. And I think for her, being able to find that person, regardless of their gender, was the most important thing because she wasn't as willing to or ready to accept herself Mm. as some of the other characters were and so she needed that support system and kind of that validation from another person um, to be more confident in her choices again all these choices in regards to happiness and again I know some people had issues with the fact that it was like a time jump like a skip and we never saw any of that and I don't think that was necessary because that's not again how life works and we don't need the validation or like the rationale for any of these characters choices at the end of the day it's their life and they're living it to the best of their ability and again like you said I do think that it is very valid to be upset that it wasn't like a there wasn't a female female couple, but I do think that it doesn't inherently make it 
a lesser story or a bad story or that it was even handled poorly. I do find it interesting that this isn't related to Masumi, but that people were upset that there was no, some certain groups of people were upset that there was no like lesbian couple, but then they were also upset because there was a gay couple. And I was like, that's, that's some <laughs> interesting huh. bias huh? there. So where people, because well, okay. okay, I don't want to, it wasn't anyone in particular. It was a general thing that I saw. A lot of people were upset that Tai Chi what, didn't end mm. up with Futaba, which they weren't ever going to. Like, once they, I saw that they broke up, yeah. that was, like, that's how life is. <laughs> Lots of people don't marry their yeah. high school sweethearts. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which so feels good. kind exactly. of like what the series yeah, exactly. is like, That's the broader question. <laughs> exactly. And so, the but the fact that Tai Chi and Toma ended up together is not, like, that wasn't really a surprise. Like, it, it seems very natural for once they did get a little bit older mm. and, you know, for Tai Chi especially to examine his feelings more, that it felt very natural that they would end up together. But people were so upset. And like, if this was done, like if it was foreshadowed more, I'm like, it was. Do you not see how bisexual yeah. Tai Chi is? I don't know what it, what series you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole point of the scene where they're all yelling i love you like they all love each other Aichi yells i love you he's saying that to both doma and futaba uh, anyway people are not apparently not very smart at getting the the clues the context yeah. clues but i i think there's there's an interesting yeah. um hypocrisy there with being totally okay for having a like a lesbian couple but then totally repulsed or like upset that there was a gay couple and i'm like oh my god why did you even read this series if you're just going to be this upset over it i don't i don't know <laughs> yeah that's bizarre yeah. with the final chapter sorry I'll, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring here because Obviously, I just massively blew off the trans theories um, <laughs> question. <laughs> but to be fair, I think it's because the the things they were using for the context for it are indicative of something that I find much more evident in the chapter, and also much more aggravating mm -hmm. as a bi as a bisexual person. My God, because again, once once it becomes clear that it's it's Thomas perspective through the chapter, and you look at that conversation. That's two people who appear to have a singular orientation where the, the conversation being made is basically like, hey, you understand, you worry when they're around people of the opposite gender mm. as well, you know? And like that that seems like such a clear cut reading and is the I'm not too fussed about the fact that Masumi ends up in a uh, in a non lesbian relationship. I, f I think on on the surface of things like sure that's fine, people grow and change, that's what blue flags ending is about you know all this drama through high school it's not what becomes the rest of your life but it does incredibly aggravate me that, that there's that potential for reading it as well uh, of being like oh man it stresses me out so much because you know they like other people too so it's ah uh, how stressful which again I, i'm married to someone who has a uh, a more singular orientation than me and i i think that they would find the the idea of having mm -hmm. that worry absurd themselves. So like that that was kind of a bummer. And I so maybe maybe my blowing off of the theory so much is because that seems so evident to me and that's what I read and find annoying about the final chapter. Everything else to it's honestly pretty great. 
everyone gets an ending where you can see, like literally at the end with the the flashes about, you get to see that they've grown and grown in different ways, which is like so incredibly real. I don't talk to everyone from my uh my high school. What would that be? So secondary school, college days. I, I don't know. It's <laughs> a different world. But I, I think you still, especially because social media, you have that awareness mm-hmm. of how people have grown and changed. And that feels, those flashes, that, especially because like you get to see the, the photo of Omega's wedding cake and you're like, <laughs> oh yeah. It's like you're getting those glimpses into other people's lives. And that felt mm-hmm. so much like that. And it that was also really nice to see that all of these characters, especially our main characters, were happy. And ultimately that's what I wanted for them. Right? Because regardless of all the drama that you go through in high school, because we all did, that's not the end of your life. In fact, that's barely the beginning of your life and where you grow your happiness again through your choices past that point. And when you do hit, you know, that seven, ten, however many years down the line, you, you just really want the best for the other people that you cared about, even if you're not that necessarily close to them, or if they're fictional in this case. <laughs> um, <so laughs> well, yeah. The, the ultimate parasocial <laughs> exactly. relationship. Fictional characters. I think that actually addressed Tropical's next question, too, which is about the ending of the series, and did they feel like uh, the final chapter, you know, the, the skip forward was like the best way for it to end. And I think that, you know, it was kind of like a real nice way for it to end because yeah i mean we kind of i mean that's the whole point of like skipping over why tai chi and Fatawa broke up is that just it doesn't matter life is a series of choices <laughs> yeah. and yeah the why it happened didn't matter because yeah. like things just uh add up in life and that people go down different paths and they're not just one set path uh, and especially when you're really young in your high school, like the patch you go on, it goes in completely different directions than when you expect mm. sometimes. Like you're, you're never going to stay the same person. You're never going to stay with the same people necessarily. Some people do, but yeah. like there's always that capacity to grow and change. And I, I think people, when they're looking for their perfect endings in comics, especially comics about teens kind mm. of miss that part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's one of my other kind of, gripes with I guess especially like shoujo romance high school romance is that a lot of these characters they get together and that's like the be all end all for them which in reality like that may be how it feels in the moment but you know once those kids get to university a lot of them are gonna you know find change they're gonna grow they're gonna find other people and they're going to be happy down the line with someone else or maybe no one at all i mean mommy is a great example she seems very happily single in that flash forward and it's just again refreshing like it's it's been 10 years since i graduated from high school and i doubt anyone who was dating each other when i graduated is now still dating <laughs> the, each other um that's just again not how life works and it's a bit I mean, it's very fairy tale esque. It's very wish fulfillmenty. But that idea of if you don't find your person at age sixteen, seventeen, is kind of 
toxic. It's like if you don't find them then, then you're probably you're gonna be an unhappy adult or you you know, you've missed the boat. You've missed the boat. <laughs> so oh, yeah, right? <laughs> it's like oh it's it's just refreshing to have this couple, these kids who are very well suited, they're friends, they have a lot in common, and they do genuinely care about each other. But after a while, that's they're not the right person for each other anymore. I think that's so, so wonderful to see. Um, even if it's sad, you know, that your your favorite characters broke up, that's how life is sometimes. Definitely. And yeah, I, I really appreciate that Kaito made that point that felt so much more realistic and I know why it would not satisfy a lot of people because a lot of people are reading stories because they want like a specific ending in the catharsis of that. But I think this was much truer to the themes that Kaito was exploring in particular. Mm -hmm. And now I guess we're done with kind of a spoiler <laughs> question. So I'll let Spec <laughs> in here. Yeah. Sensatious is about to see uh, like an obviously fake spoiler. Like, totally <laughs> superpowers. I I can't believe that horrific car crash and happened at the end and just killed everybody. That that was that <laughs> sure was a way to end it. I can't, I can't I can't believe a man gastro style bus crashed into them all and their like bodies exploded comically. Uh, I'm quitting this <laughs> oh no. <laughs> 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 anyway this this was a, all a connected uh, manga universe between crossmatch and buddy strike <laughs> and the ending of the series is uh masumi joining a lacrosse team <laughs> the extended kaito universe We're gonna have so many spin-offs <laughs> everyone gets their own series <laughs> we gotta have a spin-off about that shaggy hair character with the hair over his eyes in, a, in his rock how band. did he meet his girlfriend we need to know <laughs> the deepest question we got a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern that series <laughs> so I think now we're getting into some lighter questions I suppose uh so, the first of which being, who is our favorite character and why is it Mommy? And I think <laughs> Tropical's on the money there, because <laughs> Mommy is, is my favorite. For all the reasons that we discussed earlier, I absolutely love her personality, how she cuts through the bullshit, and there just isn't like a character kind of like her that I've seen often in other series, so I really, really appreciate mm -hmm. her. I think my favorite, and I, I mean, I love them all. They're all my children, but... I really, really love Toma. I think he's done so well. I think he's very genuine and he's always working towards other people's happiness, which is very selfless and not inherently a healthy thing to do. But you can just see how much he cares about the people around him, even if it's not romantically or like aside from romantically. You can see how good of a friend he is and how much he wants to help the people around him and as soon like oh i just fell in love with him that first like really the first chapter but the first volume and then he continued to be amazing and wonderful and the sweetest all the way to the end so yes toma a puppy boy uh mm -hmm. i think for me it's a uh, it it's tai chi 
because uh, I really relate to his shortcomings a lot. And I just want him to succeed so bad. I want him to be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, I don't know, seeing him suffer. <laughs> I, I don't like it, but like, I get it. And I just, I I, I don't know. I, I just find him, they're all relatable, like, like we know. But uh, yeah, it's Tai Chi. Stop! Stop yourself, lo- loathing, buddy. You're you're a good guy. I don't think my my favorite is so very clearly mommy, but I I think I I really do like um I really do like Tai Chi as well, which surprises me because I'm not normally a main character sort mm-hmm. of person. But it, it, he's he's so well crafted and relatable and grows so much, like in a really organic and healthy way. Like, it, it, it's rad. Yeah, I Tai Chi is a great protagonist mm-hmm. and is really easy to empathize empathize with and i think that his arc throughout the series is really compelling like definitely one of those a really strong lead like all the characters are and you know one thing i think is interesting about tai chi is that i definitely see a lot of sakurai from cross match in him in terms of like the aimlessness at the beginning the the driftfulness not really believing they can do anything so i i really like that kaito kind of expanded on that character idea with Tai Chi and went in a very interesting direction with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the next question from Tropical is uh, Toma is great, right? <laughs> and uh, I think we can all agree about that. Yes. yes. 100% <laughs> yes. A good boy. <laughs> Do love. Yes. And Tropical's last question is given how Blue Flag ended, uh, would we like to see Kaito return back to Jump now for another series, similar to Cross Manage, but with the sensibility and craft of Blue Flag? Or would we rather have them continue on making Monk outside the Weekly Shonen Jump mold, even if they would not find as huge of a success as they potentially could? I think once someone has escaped (laughs) Shonen Jump, I would be very happy if they never returned, because the amount of freedom you see creators exploring when they're not on that... First of all, on a weekly deadline, my god, if all creators could stop working weekly, oh, Mm -hmm. I, I would feel so happy for them. But like... Just being able to do something a bit more outside the bounds of that editorial environment. It's like, I don't want the the Kaito who was constrained enough to not be able to make a baseball series work. I want the Kaito who was able to spend three years crafting an incredibly beautiful world full of characters I love. You know, like I, and I I think that freedom's needed. Yeah, for I, it. I think anything that gives Kaito what Kaito wants the most is best. <laughs> The freedom, yeah, it, I, I think anything to give them the freedom to do what they most desire. Definitely. I just want to see more manga from Kaito in general. I don't really care where it's from, so long as they can tell great stories. <laughs> we'll read whatever you put out, man. <laughs> We're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and have Ray and Ace continue to work on more of their works mm. for sure. Please, please, Kaito, I want to work on all your works. <laughs> come on, come on, Viz, let's get Buddy Strike. <laughs> it's only a volume. Oh, I wish I would so much. Be... It, it's, it's a crime that Buddy Strike is not licensed. It's one of my favorite things I've read this year. And like, oh, it's okay. so good. E- even the last chapter, which is a hot mess. <laughs> like, just as a full experience... It's up there with the other two series. <laughs> Viz, do it for me. Do I also want me. to put in my my two cents of I would totally buy Cross Manage in a physical book 
if that was available. Yes. Um, so yes. just just know you yes. have at least four people buying the book if you did it. <laughs> it's paid for itself. Come on. I mean, it's really a no lose situation over there for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Blue Flag does really well so Cross Manage will be released mm. in print. That would be so lovely to have it print too. I mean, I hope so, but I've been telling Viz for however long <laughs> My Hero Academia's been going on, like, okay, well, now we could do Horikoshi's first series, right? Right? And they're like, no. Ah. no. And I'm like, ah! Oh, man. Oh, oh, please, yeah, you would think long. that they would try and license that. Right? He's that man. I know Colton would be very happy about that, oh, for sure. Oh, man. That, that's, that's one of my uh, little dream series to work on, but... There's so many cases where I want a uh, creator's first series, like the or like the weirder stuff, or the flops yeah. that just get released in print because that's the stuff that's super exciting. Yeah, I, I have a stupidly large collection of like jump series. I got two volumes. Mm. I'm just like, man, mm. if somebody were to license yes. this trash. It's like my bookwalker <laughs> shelves are just full yeah. of them. Come on, just somebody license it. I would probably murder someone for Shonen Note, which is Yuki Kamatani's like long nine volume uh, choir manga to be licensed. I would, Ooh. I want it so bad. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> but no. <laughs> I want it that so bad amazing. it will never come on, happen. Come on, studio. <laughs> come on, publishers, please. I mean, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm currently yelling about how much I want Dr. Quench, a series about plastic surgery, to get licensed in English. So, like, <laughs> I, I feel anyone's pain about trying to get something, obs- like, obscure in subject matter out in English. You know, although Seas has been putting out some pretty obscure yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's why I'm like, yeah. they're, so, they're, I love them. Ooh. Please keep giving me whatever weird crap you want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> and... Now we have uh, some more questions from Eerie Gray. And uh, the first question they ask is, does Blue Flag need more lesbians? And uh, I think we talked about this before, but it would have been nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it never hurts to have more representation yeah. as long exactly. as it's done well. And Blue Flag does things well. There's so a, There's a funny mini conversation on, on the Discord related to this question. It's like, uh, Bath Forever replied, what series isn't improved <laughs> by more lesbians? And then Eerie Grey replied, probably an Oba series because they'd probably exactly. be terrible. Yes, do not <laughs> let Oba near the lesbians. <laughs> the only thing, the last thing we need in manga <laughs> is Oba trying to write lesbians. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean the last thing we need in yes, manga is over. Yeah, yeah. Oh. based on a based on a certain scene in Platinum End addressing homophobia. Yeah, I, I don't really want Oba to touch that stuff for sure. <laughs> Ooh, no. But uh, the next question they ask is, which Taichi nerd shirt is your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> I mean the 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 mother free one he wears as a kid. <laughs> I love Mother Free with the passion of a thousand suns, so like that was neat. Although also Minecraft shirt because mainstream appeal. <laughs> I think maybe I really like his Space Invaders one. Yeah, mm. I'd say Space Invaders Space as well. Invaders. Although I mean they're all they good. Are. I don't Let's remember all, all of good. them, so Space Invaders probably a good bet. Mm-hmm. 
I think my... Well, the first one I really noticed was like the no game, no life one. And then other ones I noticed was uh, the one with the play buttons. And then there was one... Oh, there are so many. Those are the ones that I remember the most. But yeah, I love all the shirts. I think that a good project would just to screen cap and collect just all the, the different shirts that he wears during the series. Hmm. Just make them all, and put them all that. up in one collage. <laughs> make a shirt. I would love just like someone doing that you for make all a manga. Your own shirt mm. with just all of oh the capped shirts from the manga. It would be great. <laughs> a shirt of shirts? Yes. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yes. Oh. A shirt that just has design- all of Daichi's <laughs> shirt designed. That'd be so perfect. And, yeah, oh man. I want that. Someone should make <laughs> that. And then, uh, Eerie Gray's next question is, which character uh, do you relate to the most? It's it's Taichi for me, for the reasons I kind of said before. Yeah, I mean, like, I... I... I went through not not the same things, but like you know, very similar things and a lot of self-loathing and stuff when I was a teenager. So definitely Tai Chi. I wanted to be the Toma type, but you know, we can't all be Toma, <laughs> so I was Tai Chi. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I think I saw the most of myself in Tai Chi, as well as at times Masumi too. I think uh, honestly, Futaba. And this actually is related to Yuri's next question. She has a certain like exploration of kind of her own gender dysphoria, like that she kind of admired Toma and kind of wanted to be like him. Yeah. And there's a point in the story where she says, like, I want to be a boy like, and then she kind of realizes what she's saying. And so in that respect too, kind of from the flip perspective, like definitely I, I also resonated with kind of Futaba's dysphoria as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, I think, again, Taichi is a very relatable character, but I think generally that wish to be better than yourself that Futaba or someone else had, um, not necessarily gender-wise, although I do agree <clears throat> I do agree that her a lot of hers was very close to the dys- gender dysphoria really related to me as especially my high school self of wanting to be someone better and stronger and like I guess more personable than I was or less shy especially so yeah mm-hmm. see I, I don't know who the who the me I am now would necessarily relate to the most I I, I feel conscious pretty much everyone in the cast on some levels like maybe maybe tight you know most because I see the sort of growth he has throughout that story being a growth that I myself had very later on but in a very depressing way like if I were to look at who I was as a teenager probably the one I look at the most and see myself in a very negative aspect is is Kensuke because I was I was too much like that I think I've said a lot of the podcast which is probably a bit too real that I don't think I was a very good person as a teenager because I mean let's be real mm. I don't think anyone's a very good person when they're a teenager <laughs> but I, I I wasn't really and like I, I I think seeing that so clearly reflected in someone who's similarly quite difficult, I, I suppose, is is very relatable in the negative. But Tai Chi, relatable in the positive, so swings and roundabouts, you know. Did hand gestures there, like, in the scene, what is wrong with me? <laughs> they'll, they'll 
see the waveforms. <laughs> if I you're guess. not speaking with your hands, <laughs> and then interpret that in their mind. Yeah. If but you're not speaking with your hands, are you <laughs> really speaking at all? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. It's an important part of communication uh, gestures that I think is sometimes underappreciated. But yeah, Yuri's last question is. You know, the series brings up body dysphoria and gender dysphoria in passing a few times, particularly in relation to Fataba. Do you think the series should have explored the T in uh, LGBT more? I think this is another case where, you know, I would have liked to see it, you know, especially, but I don't hold it against the series for not going in that territory, especially if perhaps it's not something Kaito necessarily knows a lot about. It would, it would be better not to do it if he doesn't know how to or if they don't know how to like explore it like kind of authentically Mm -hmm. but at the same time there were several points in the story where i deeply related to characters describing the dysphoria i I mean toma and futaba particularly describing how they wish they were like kind of the someone else of the opposite gender like that, like, you know, I definitely like resonated with that. I think the way that they kind of described themselves and like how they admired someone of the opposite sex and like want to be like them for certain reasons and didn't really like kind of like the way they were like the thoughts that they kind of had going through the head are thoughts that, you know, you know, I have thought at some points when I was younger, a lot of really, really specific, relatable things were kind of explored during that but i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that that didn't lead necessarily to anyone realizing that they were trans because sometimes i mean mommy kind of brings that up in like that her conversation with um, Misumi and whatever is that like sometimes it's kind of pretty normal to like think that way and kind of be like you know i wonder what it would be like if i was someone else i kind of wish i could know what that is like and that not necessarily like meaning that they they are trans they definitely realize inside their soul that they are like you know not their assigned gender at birth but like they their real gender is something else but like they I normalizing just the idea that it's, you know, okay to kind of admire and look up to qualities in people of the opposite sex is normal and not something to like feel strange about, I would say. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I mean, ha- having having trans representation in any series would be great. You know, there's there's really <laughs> not a ton out there, especially in a series that I think would would at least try to handle it respective mm-hmm. respectably um with respect there we go um but I I kind of feel like it's not it's also not really necessary in blue flag like it would have been nice to have but I think if there's too much going on like there's already a lot going on with, with the L G, well I guess the L and G, the G, um, so I, I I guess I'm saying like I I would like to see more but I think it's maybe for the best that it wasn't in there. Ultimately, it just wasn't a part of the story Kaito yeah. was telling this particular story and I always like seeing more representation, more exploration. And so I would love to see more in like any story that is, you know, willing and able to maturely 
explore those characters and ideas in a really meaningful and or just in general do right by representation Mm -hmm. and inclusion but you know i'm i don't hold it against blue flag for not going that area because i think that ultimately more than it is about i guess exploring lgbtq experiences and issues it's more about like kind of these broader emotions about identity and inclusion in social circles that it is tackling mm-hmm. and so since it is not so specific i s- suppose that i I don't hold it against Blue Fly for not going in that area. And I think that mm. there are starting to be a few more series that are like kind of giving me that kind of story that I do want to see in manga. Like we brought up Our Dreams of Desk several times, and that is like such a beautiful manga for the range mm. of experiences it depicts. So because there's also other stuff out there, I'm also also not as like, you know, down on series for not including one thing or the other because experiences are very broad as well so nothing can do no one story can like perfectly capture like everyone's experience yeah like i i think it would have it would have been nice it would have been wonderful i think to have explored transness and to have done it well the series would have needed to be significantly longer to fit that in like at at least handle it well and uh, I, I I worry at times that sounds dismissive to be like oh I I don't think this would have fit in but a comic can't be everything to everyone and that's a shame I don't think the series suffers for it uh, and again it, it would have definitely been nice mm-hmm. it's really actually kind of weird to address but I, I mean I, I mean I I'm I'm non-binary I w- I would have loved to have seen more stuff like mm. that. Uh, but it, it's just it's just mm-hmm. not what Blue Flag I is. I would also agree with basically what everyone said. I also want to say uh mention that like there's certain like there's manga that are about trans experiences. They're not always um like The Bride Was a Boy is very educational and that's what it's meant to be. Things like Claudine is very like dramatic and uh, very problematic. <laughs> but but it's it was one of it was the first and you know there's only so much you can expect of it and even things like wandering sun which is a bit more earnest it still has its problems i feel like there's sometimes where when we include and again i am all for more trans characters i i love them (laughs) if they're included but they need to be done well i've read too many older like 2000 shoujo that have a comedic trans character included that's just there for a punchline because it's a like oh it's a boy in girls clothing or whatever which yeah. isn't nece- like that's not necessarily how it would yeah. be handled now but i still think that there's an element that if you don't dedicate a lot of time to that character then you're not going to be able to fully realize their story and I don't want to dismiss trans experiences by making them kind of a footnote. But on the other hand, like I do want to normalize trans people as like just characters that exist in the world. So it's it's a very fine line, right? Mm. Um, there are some series that do handle it well, um, other series that try and fail miserably. <laughs> and if this was 
a series where one of the main characters was transgender, it might have worked better, like being more inclusive. But I don't think it was, again, I don't think it was necessary for the story. I don't think, like, just focus, because that's the other thing. I feel like a lot of trans characters, if they are main characters, their story is just about being trans, which is fine. Mm. But too often like that's that's all they are like that's just what their personality is summed up as and I just yeah there's a lot of complicated things that I feel like perhaps a trans creator could or a non-binary creator as well like Kamatani can vocalize or express more so than someone who is outside of the community or outside of that personal experience so it's like it's Mm. hard I don't and again that's not to say like cis people shouldn't write trans characters but at the same time like is it as genuine will it as be be as nuanced etc so yeah again would be great but I don't I wouldn't want to extend the story more just for the sake of a trans character and that sounds really mean and dismissive but it didn't need that element to be as good as it is I want to mention something kind of going slightly off topic but uh, we were talking earlier about how it's so unusual to see a series like like Blue Flag on a Shonen Jump or Shonen Jump uh, adjacent place like Shonen Jump Plus but talking about trans characters reminded me that there is actually a one shot about a trans hunter. Mm. If anybody's mm. interested, it's not. Oh, is this the one yeah, on yeah, Shonen Jump Nikuo Plus? Boku. It, it, yeah, oh, and yes. you know, like uh, like I said earlier, uh, my Japanese is like preschool level, so like I can't understand all of it. But um, yeah, I totally recommend it. It, from what I can understand, it's it's pretty powerful. It's an intense experience, uh, to say the least. Um, also kind of visually difficult at times, but I mean, kind of amazing that it ended up on the Shonen Jump Plus website, I cannot, to be um, One of the other Shonen Jump editors, uh, Alexi, sent it to me and uh, a couple other people and was just like, read this now. And I was just like, this is, <laughs> this is a lot to take in, but it's, it's very, very positive to see something like this on Shonen Jump mm. Plus. I hope it's a sign for the yeah. future. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, we we name-dropped a, a lot of series uh, that have come out in English that are quite good for trans representation. Just uh, quickly want to shout out that later this year we have um, Love Me For Who I Am so coming out by Kazu Koniyama, which uh, is... Something that I think is very intensely emotional and careful at exploring concepts of gender identity, and I think might be the sort of thing that Reads the Blue Flag would have been looking for to have been in this series if they had such characters. Mm, Absolutely. Everything I've seen about that just sounds so wonderful. I can't wait for that to come out. But, yeah. I think we're in a good place with more LGBTQ representation stories, more manga featuring and exploring characters and themes coming out so i'm very very happy about that i think this is a good time i think blue flag is a great addition to that pantheon yeah and we have one last final question which is kind of only tangentially related to blue flag but uh wednesday (laughs) day alas you know it's flag day in their country so they're gonna ask what is our favorite flag 
I'm gonna be <laughs> cheesy and say huh. the pride flag. Because oh, that maybe is, took uh... mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll just say like the the envy flag. I I like every color on it. It feels nice to look at. It's a good flag. <laughs> Actually, uh, again, as someone who isn't part of the LGBT uh, community, the trans flag is like my favorite flag. I just really like oh, it's know, such the pretty color, the colors. Yeah, it's so pretty. I just really like it. So that's absolutely <laughs> that's my choice. Uh, yeah. So what we're saying are uh, all pride flags, the whole the whole spectrum of pride flags, the best flags. Definitely, <laughs> exactly. Oh, absolutely. Bar none. I mean, you get far better designs and uh, choices for colour on all of those than you do for any country yeah. ever. So, uh, you know, go Pride, boo nations, that's what I say. I mean, they're called Pride Flags because we are proud of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that wraps us up with our questions, and I think that wraps us up on our discussion of Blue Flag. I'm so happy that we went this in-depth on the series. I think we had an absolutely fantastic conversation. I'm really proud of both this one and our cross-managed conversation. I think that we really dug into Kaito's works in a really deep and thoughtful way. And I want to thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing your perspectives and thoughts on the series, because this has been incredibly fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been, it was a wonderful experience. I hope it's not the last. <laughs> oh, most definitely. I, I can't wait for more uh, of Kaido's words to come out. I, I want to continue <laughs> talking about them. And I want to continue talking with all you wonderful people as well. And until the next time that we are able to do so, let us let everyone know where they can find you, follow more of your work, check out more of the great stuff that you're all doing. And so, Gee, would you like to let people know where they can find you, your channel, and some of the projects you're working on? Sure. So I am Simply G. Uh, that's G double E on YouTube. I'm also on Twitter as Collecting G, all one word. I generally do manga related content, lots of hauls, some review type stuff as well. Um, but I also have a manga podcast that I co-host with my good friend Ray from Whimsical Pictures, where we talk about a different topic pretty much every single month. And coincidentally, <laughs> this month's um, topic is also going to be Blue Flag. Yes! Um, so <laughs> so <laughs> we're very keen. And that was, again, total coincidence. We had that planned from last year, August. Sure! Um, yeah. <laughs> So um, if you are interested in any of those, we have done various podcasts on things like uh, different, um, like BL, we've talked about yokai manga, we've talked about romance, just the wider genre. Uh, year 24 was back in February, no, March, and last month's was we were talking about Devil's Line. So we do have quite a oh. mix if people want to check it out. And it is kind of... It's on YouTube currently, but we are trying to get it to Spotify and other platforms as well. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. I really enjoy your podcast. I'm so excited for your Blue Flag episode. More conversations <laughs> about the series always a great thing. So, really excited for that. And Ace, uh, where can the people find you and your work? So, I'm on Instagram at core beliefs. That's C-O-R underscore beliefs. But that's just like 99 percent 
Corleonis cosplay. <laughs> um, and then I'm on Twitter at Kaito Ace. That's K A I T O U underscore A C E. And once in a blue moon, I post about lettering, but most of the time it's Final Fantasy 15. So my, <laughs> my apologies. That's the content I come to you for. <laughs> I want the Final well, Fantasy 15. I'm happy to serve it up to you. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a new uh, daily drawing project right now marshmallow may oh marshmallow may yes corleonis from final fantasy 15 is like my idol i guess i don't know i love him <laughs> a bit. and I, I drew him as this puffball lion because his name means lion heart <laughs> and so yeah every day i'm posting a new picture of him as this puffball lion doing whatever <laughs> Marshmallow Bay! Yay! It's awesome, great. adorable. Definitely follow Ace and follow that hashtag to see more of their adorable art. It's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. And Maxi, where can the good people find you? Okay, uh, people can find me on Twitter at Maxi the B, all as one word. Maxi B was taken, so now I sound like a Sonic OC, which is great. I'm not really doing anything on there at the moment because uh the the current pace of my work under the circumstances we live in uh is a little bit draining but if you want to go and hear me occasionally tweet out about comics that are good and usually unlicensed because that's what i enjoy <laughs> at the moment is finding the obscurities that are out there like check out my twitter i a lot of the time it comes down to me just talking about how i like baseball comics but Every now and then there'll be little gems, like maybe you want to hear about uh, Our Son is Probably Gay by Okura, the writer of uh, That Blue Sky Feeling. I'm going to be talking about that soon because I bought the volume, it was like 900 yen, I have to read it and tweet about it, otherwise that's a sunk bit of money. <laughs> but it, it's so good. So it's a lot of stuff like that, a lot of, lot of tweeting about what I enjoy. I also have a website that I'm still paying for called friendshipeffortvictory.com, ostensibly a website for a podcast I don't do anymore, kind of. I'm still writing episodes, I'm just not recording them because I don't like hearing my own voice a <laughs> lot, um, as is the way of editing. But on the plus side, there's like 35 episodes of classic podcasts on there, a few written reviews with some immaculately done crediting that makes sure you credit everyone who works on the book. Oh, Imagine yeah, that. that's nice. Uh, and, most <laughs> and most importantly of all, uh, I, along with uh, my buddy Hugh, translated a ridiculous uh, Pepe Silvius-style chart showing who's worked for who within Shonen Jump in the assistant system. For example, Kaito has worked for Akira wow. Amano, creator of uh, Hitman so Reborn. Cool. So there you go. There's always there's always something to add to these episodes from that. That, that chart is a thing of of beauty and wonder. Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you for it. I've been trying to redraw <laughs> the thing lately because it's so hard to pass, and I need to add more, <laughs> more names on it. And my appreciation for the the originator who did it before we worked on translating it, uh, KTR, like they had to have had something <laughs> wrong with them to have done something so intricate. Like I applaud them. Yeah, that chart is amazing, and Maxi, you do great work. I'm looking forward to that review of uh, Okura's new series. Like, I've seen a lot of that one going around. I really want that one to be licensed so much. Uh, but yeah, you're doing great work. Always look forward to the new stuff you're doing. And yeah, and thank you guys so much again for coming on, and hope to do this again real, real soon. Yeah, thanks for for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And now I fix. <laughs> <laughs>
sad picture The final blow hits you Somebody else gets what you wanted again You know it's all the same Another time and place Repeating history And you're getting sick of it But I believe in whatever you do And I'll do anything to see will change keep it now these walls that they put up to hold us back will fall down this revolution the time will come for us to finally win and we'll sing Thanks once again to Maxi, Ace, and G for coming on the show to gush over Blue Flag with us. We had a great discussion, and I think we did a really great job exploring the series' themes and characters and parsing through the more difficult sections of the story. For more Blue Flag discussion, I definitely want to recommend G's own episode on the series on her podcast, Read Right to Left where she had a more concentrated discussion of the series, its LGBTQ representation, and a ton of other discussion points. In general, I want to shout out the Read Right to Left podcast because it is a really fun show where G and fellow manga tuber Ray Whimsical Pictures discuss manga of all kinds and in all forms, having done episodes like two-parters on BLM romance manga, LGBT manga, and recently an episode all about sports manga. Her YouTube channel also hosts great review videos of new manga and anime she picks up and reads, and a video I particularly found helpful and interesting was her how-to video on restoring ex-library books, where she offered tips that I'll definitely put into use as someone who has collected a fair amount of those myself. She also recently put out a first impressions video on Iridori Sakura's debut lineup, which I highly recommend checking out ahead of when we give our own thoughts on the series in a few weeks from now. Back on the subject of Blue Flag, I also really enjoyed Weekly Manga Recaps pod on it from a few months back. They were big fans of Kaito's Crossmanage when they used to review it weekly on the show, so it was cool to see them check out Kaito's latest work and share their thoughts on it, including their frustrations at several points of the story that you also heard us talk about and describe their disappointment with how Masumi was handled in the series in particular. All in all, another really well done retrospective of this beloved series, and I hope there'll be more to come from other folks in the future. Moving beyond Blue Flag, but on the subject of other podcasts, I want to highlight the Animaniacs podcast. There are actually quite a few anime podcasts that share that name, but I'm specifically highlighting a new anime-focused podcast from Matt J of Cartoons 101 in the Deep End, Alec Robbins, the creator of Mr. Boop, and Jeremy Schmidt, who hosts the Video Games and Comedy Show podcast. The premise of the show is that Jeremy is coming to Matt and Alec for recommendations of anime to watch, and they discuss what's picked out for him, and in the first episode, they discuss FLCL. I'm a fan of Matt and Alec's work, and... Discussions of anime on their other platforms, and this is another fun show of theirs diving into what's special about Japanese animation, the history of legacy of Fulikuli, and their own relationship with the show, what it means to them. I'm looking forward to more of their discussions, especially since they plan to discuss both Ping Pong and Ron Mahath in their next episode. 
Next, I need to get into the big elephant in the room known as Comic-Con at Home. Speaking of huge events, that was a massively ambitious undertaking where hundreds of hours of pre-recorded panels were released across several days to mimic the feeling of the real-life San Diego Comic-Con experience. There were so, so many panels that it may be difficult to parse through them to find the highlights, so I took the liberty of creating a playlist compiling oldie manga and anime-related panels from Comic-Con at Home for your viewing convenience. There were a ton of great ones, including the Manga Publishing Industry Panel, which hosted folks from pretty much every major publisher in the North American market, and discussed how they're faring under the effects of COVID and what trends they're seeing and hoping for. And also, there was the Shaman King panel, which of course blew us away with all those announcements we talked about earlier that have since been rescinded and delayed indefinitely because of last-minute production issues. Whoopsies. There was the 32nd Annual Will Geisner Comic Industry Awards, this year hosted by Phil Lamar, and we'll definitely be discussing the results of those next time as well. One of the big highlights, of course, was the best and worst manga trinity panel featuring a swat of amazing manga critics and connoisseurs like Deb Aoki, Bridget Alverson, Justin Stroman, Megan Peters, Eva Valin, Robbie Gunnagall, and our good friend Morgana Santilli of Comics Meet and Manga Machinations. They made some really great recommendations that highlighted some wonderful series, as well as a few bad ones I'd also concur with staying away from, with one notable exception in Deb's choice of Aka, which was definitely undeserved and should have been in better company, but agree to disagree. I also want to shout out another former guest of the show, Shane and Garrity, whose panel went over her 20-year career in comics and manga, and it was also a really fun and fascinating listen. There were so many panels from coming up at home, and I haven't even seen them all yet, including Vista's interview with Junji Ito, but that's why I created the playlist, and if you missed any of these, definitely make sure to check them out and give them a watch. But speaking of coming up at home, this is something that's not anime manga specific related, but... Another panel I watched last time in the San Diego Comic Con at home was the 12 Ounce Mouse panel, which hosted a ton of the show's creators, voice actors, and editors. I've been all about 12 Ounce Mouse recently thanks to rewatching a series on the fantastic new season. And this panel, hosted by the always witty and hilarious Maxine Simone, was a great look into the origins of the show, this season, its lore and secrets, and how the show is made in its editing phase. If you're a fan of 12 Ounce Mouse or just curious, I definitely recommend checking it out. But speaking of Adult Swim stuff, Adult Swim had their own online con event called Adult Swim Con, which consisted of panel streams and on-air TV events supplemented by online content. The biggest... Stuff, of course, with everything from the Tanami parts of the event, where they revealed their new show, Fena Pirate Princess, the new Rick and Morty anime short by the Tower of God team, and a ton of interviews, including extra special lengthy ones with Steve Loom and Dana Swanson, the voices of Tom and Sarah, respectively. All of this stuff was awesome, but I particularly want to highlight that Steve Bloom interview because I feel that conversation was just so wonderful as it really felt like a conversation between three old friends. Steve, of course, talks about his origin in voice acting, but also what makes as well as Tom and Action Alley feel so special and the collaborative process between him and Jason DeMarco and Gil and his foster work with animals and some of the really emotional moments of his career. What made this interview particularly special to me was how at the end Steve turns the tables and comes to the interviewer and asks Jason and Gil about their friendship and 
They went into a ton of history about the origins of Hanami, Jason and Gil's working relationship, and how Hanami can even stay on air to this day because of the great communication and hard work of their team. And honestly, this entire interview got me really emotional, almost made me tear up at times. Not because any of it was sad or went in sad directions, but because of how honest and appreciative and wonderful the friendship between these folks is, and the wonderful, encouraging life advice they had to give. If Tanami ever meant anything to you, and especially if it still does, I highly encourage giving this interview, in particular, a watch or listen. Speaking of emotional retrospectives and still adult swim related, I want to highlight Trunific Tariq's recent video discussing the crappy hand the Family Guy episode Brian Wallows, Peter Swallows. Tariq uses this episode to describe how Family Guy can indeed have heart to its characters and stories and why it's also okay that it doesn't sometimes, debunking common criticisms of the series and reaffirming what makes the show so special, and why this episode in particular stands out because of its sincerity. As a lapsed and former Family Guy fan myself, I found Tariq's analysis and arguments really compelling, as well as his personal relationship to the show, and honestly, it also got me a little teary-eyed toward the end. Tariq, in general, is one of my favorite animation reviewers, and I highly recommend his channel for a ton of great discussions of underrated, underdiscussed, or misrepresented cartoons. On the subject of favorite video makers highlighting under-discussed shows, I definitely have to shout out Paparini's latest knickknack retrospective on the classic Nickelodeon anime Maple Town. He explores the show's production background and a lot of the creative stuff on the series would move on to big shows in the future, specifically highlighting how the show's art direction would later inform Sailor Moons because of Kaneko. And he also notes its significance as an early Saban uh, localization project, doubling into the history of that company and its rise to the show as well. He in general, he finds a lot of interesting points to make about the series, like its strange moral citing where child is over responsibility, and the fact that the toy line the series is based on is a ripoff of another successful toy line altogether. So, once again, another awesome Nicknacks episode on a classic Nickelodeon anime, and I'm looking forward to him talking about those koala ones coming up soon. Speaking of Nick's, though, I definitely want to plug Nick Freeman, who you may know as the co-host of Weekly Manga Recap, and the former manga YouTuber known as Y Ruler of Time. He's returned to video making with his new Jump Date video series, in which he reviews the last couple of new Shonen Jump series, as well as recent concluding ones, and gives his thoughts on them. Nick's editing is super slick, and I love the graphics, and how clean all the images he used were, and how slick and awesome his music was. I think the use of text boxes to divulge trivia and tidbits while he focuses on the analysis was just really great. He makes a lot of good points about certain series and where they succeed or fail, particularly in the cases of Hardball Cop and Dolphin and The Promised Neverland's ending. And there's just so many great bits of humor as well in there, like a tangent about porpoises and manga that ended with a very funny pun. I used to watch Nick's read right to left videos a bunch when I was in high school, so I'm definitely excited to see him return to video making, and I hope he makes more videos in this style. Now, for video makers tackling more serious topics than Toyota cartoons and Midland Maga, I wanted to highlight the videos of Renegade Cut. The first explores the cult of tradition, namely the myth of the Founding Fathers and the false truths that have been passed down, misrepresenting who they were, and their actual documented moral integrity or lack thereof, and actions and legacy in the Revolutionary War and American politics. Basically, the video aims to demystify the Founding Fathers and moral paragons who always knew best, that we should strive to emulate and respect the wishes out of a call to tradition, and I think the video makes a more compelling, well-researched argument to disregard 
uh, their elite and privileged-minded words and priorities, which have no relevance if we aim to achieve a more progressive future. So on the subject of elitism and privilege, I also want to recommend Renegade Cut's uh, great video on how classism and poverty is portrayed in Bob's Burgers. Making a great chase for why the Belcher family is the only TV cartoon family who really feels trapped in poverty and how to buy the pressures of uh, predatory capitalists that further their livelihood out of greed or by flaunting their privilege. It's good stuff that made me appreciate and think about the class issues of Bob's Burgers, how the show portrayed them in a more appreciative light. And speaking of critical videos, my last video essay I want to shout out is Lindsay Ellis's video exploring the concept of debt of the author in regards to problematic creators, namely J.K. Rowling, in light of her recent bouts of transphobia on Twitter. Lindsay addresses the misuse of debt of the author to defend one's enjoyment of a problematic creator's work, and how invoking debt of the author is inappropriate and impossible when the creator is still alive and their words and actions have tangible ramifications, and any positive discussions or financial support of their work still fuels and funds the destructiveness. It is a great video, making an important point about why it's imperative not to support media created by bigoted or criminal creators because of the ramifications and uh, messages such support sends, and that's a topic we addressed back during our discussion of Nobuhiro Watsuki and why we felt we can't and don't want to support his works anymore in light of his pedophilic conduct. So definitely give her video a watch because I think it well articulates the necessity of not supporting making excuses for problematic creators and their work in a very matter-of-fact way. Next, I want to highlight some creative projects from friends of ours and just folks I think are cool. So let's start with a folk that I don't know personally, but I think is cool. Animator Narmok on YouTube. You may know them for their very popular SpongeBob anime videos. Namely, they made a few years back. I think this is where it all started. They made a SpongeBob anime opening team. Well, they have recently made a full-length episode of their Spongebob anime AU, fully voice-acted in Japanese and everything, and they even got an English dub that <laughs> sounds exactly like the characters in the actual show, actual English-language version of the show, which is really funny. But yeah, you gotta check Narmok's, like, bubble bass arc Spongebob anime episode. It is like a shonen anime, hyper-violent shonen anime parody of Spongebob. And it's very, very funny. Very well animated. Like, there's some amazing action cuts, like, in that fight between Spongebob and Bubble Bass. That's, like, it's super insane. So I'm excited for more. I'm looking forward to more episodes of that. And, yeah, I like seeing cool independent animation projects and fan works like that. That, that was really, really awesome. But now to highlight some work of our friends, I want to shout out Sam Leach's B-Star AMV, which I really enjoyed watching. He edited footage of the show to the song Runaround by Blues Traveler, and I enjoy Sam's AMVs a lot. And it's clear he put a lot of love, thought, and effort into this one, because he really got into B-Star's hard this year, it seems. And I'm really looking forward to his One Piece manga-based AMV, which I know he's working hard on, and I'm getting a bunch of complex manga panels from the series himself, so I'm looking forward to that a lot. And also on the artistic side, Ace's Final Fantasy XV Daily Drawing Post are always a delight. They've just finished up July Fred and begun their art in August. Ace's drawings are always creative and clever tributes to the game and these characters, which I know they really enjoy, so definitely check them out if you're a big Final Fantasy 15 fan yourself, or just want to see some really cute art. 
And then finally, I have some articles from some friends of ours that I want to highlight. The first is Sakaki's latest Tanami Faithful article, where he described why he's not a fan of Jojo Golden Wind, singling out the story's one-off villains, Jonas, like a charisma, and the confusing motivations and character of Diablo, which made the final battle of the series especially fall flat to him. I personally like Golden Wind a lot, but Sakaki's positions are well argued, and he makes uh, an especially great point about how the JoJo series set in Italy doesn't even feature a single Zappelli, which is a glaring flaw indeed. And now I want to close out my shoutouts by highlighting two articles from our good friend Marion. First up is their Slayers review, which I found very fun to read as they are a newcomer to Slayers, having never read or seen it before. So it was cool to get their first impressions and what stuck out to them about the characters and even the out-of-date problematic elements of the book. But I especially want to highlight their Haikyuu tribute. It's retrospective the series' themes and legacy with heavy comparisons to Slam Dunk to emphasize just how extraordinary the direction of Haikyuu's final arc and why its message of people continually growing and changing throughout their life, but always remaining connected because of their shared passions and histories is truly compelling. It's an astounding analysis of Haikyuu, a beautiful love letter to the series, and I can think of no better piece of fan work to close out this particularly stacked, packed, and prodigious community shoutout segment. All right, I guess that about does it for community shoutouts. And so uh, I guess that about does it for... The, the whole episode here uh before we before we completely wrap up i guess just to kind of put out there what the plan is here for next episode the plan so far is for you guys to expect uh, a very huge huge news episode possibly next time that's what we're planning on doing anyway we just haven't really had the chance to sit down and cover a lot of the news that's come out uh which means we have a whole ton of licensing news to talk about uh, next time, uh, along with a bunch of other stuff. It's a lot. Like, uh, my, my prediction is it's going to be another three-hour podcast. So, I, I have already resigned myself. I'm just kind of expecting it at this point. But, hey, look, if if you are into our news catch-up episodes, we got a lot of news coming at you next time. So, uh, yeah, just, just kind of putting it out there for next time. Expect a lot of licensing news and us to talk about it. Uh, but until then, um, we might as well just plug the rest of our stuff here, starting with my good friend and co-host Lum. Where can the people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramiyasha on Twitter as Lum Ramiyasha Variety Places like Animation Revolution Analyst, wherever it's a Lum Ramiyasha. So you can find me. You can also review my reviews on all-coming.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. So check out those on there. That's also where you can find the other related podcasts to this show, Manga Members Ad Movies, Lum Squad, Manga Fights, which is going to make its comeback wherever else soon. You can check all those out on there. And of course, those are all available on the podcast feed of Manga Members itself. And in addition to that, you can check out the art I do, if you like the artwork I do for this show, on my Instagram, at Sid Artworks. All right. Definitely go follow all alum stuff. Uh, looking forward to manga fights coming back. That's some uh, that's some big news that you just kind of threw in there. Well, you can expect it to be on Demon Slayer with the hosts of the Demon Slayer podcast. So let me tell you, that podcast is some fire so look forward to them bringing the heat on that Mm -hmm. yes i'm I'm sure we can expect that here sometime in the near future well we'll definitely let you guys know when that's up uh but until then i'm colton you can follow my stuff or you can follow me on twitter i should say at sniper king 323 uh i also do a lot of other podcasts on the side which you could find links to 
at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. It is basically my personal blog uh, where I have a page dedicated to links to all my uh, other podcasts, including One Podcast Prevails, which is a podcast I do about Detective Conan slash Case Closed, as well as w- whatever else I'm doing at the uh, at the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network at uh, ssanetwork.com. But yeah, again, that's uh, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. You'll find all my other podcasts there. As for the podcast and everything else, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast over at allcomic.coms, where we post every episode first, unless you are a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. If you subscribe to our $2 tier, you will get early access to uh, to early editions of the podcast uh, as soon as they're edited. You know, depending on when we have them edited, if we happen to, uh, you know, have them ready before their uh, before their official release date. Obviously, uh, Blue Flag was a uh, was an episode of the podcast. We, uh, you know, if you were subscribing to our Patreon, you could have listened to uh, way, way, way earlier than when we released it. That's basically one of the many examples of all the early podcasts you could listen to if you subscribe to that tier. Uh, however, if you subscribe to our $5 tier, you will get access to completely new bonus material uh, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Right now, we are featuring a a discussion on My Brother's Husband my, by Gengoro Tagame that we recorded and released at the, uh, at the end of uh, June here. We obviously talked about My Brother's Husband on a previous episode with our good friend Maxi Bernard. We decided to bring him back on to basically talk about the entirety of the series. So you can basically subscribe to the $5 tier and listen to a an entire review of the entirety of the series. Uh, so you have that and a bunch more waiting for you again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And uh, I guess as far as everything else goes, you can uh, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. Uh, but if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks, or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Email us anything about uh, manga or the podcast at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, are there any series you want us to read on the podcast? Uh, what have you been reading lately? Uh, what are your thoughts on Blue Flag or Cross Manage or any of Kaito's works? Uh, again, email us anything, and we will read it on the show. We love getting emails. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen to us. We're on a bunch of different uh, podcasting platforms at this point, uh, wherever podcasts are sold. But yeah, we definitely appreciate any uh, any reviews that you leave for our podcast. We, we just appreciate feedback in general. Uh, it also helps the uh, visibility of our podcast and helps us get our show to more listeners. So please do that if you so wish. We'd really appreciate it. But that's going to be about it for this episode. This has been episode 128 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we will see you guys next time for 129. Bye, guys. Sayonara. My mama told me when I was young, we're all superstars. 